0: Hello, and welcome back to Failure Peace Theater. I am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me as always is...
1: Catherine.
0: And we're back this time to discuss not our top or favorite TV shows, but our favorite films of 2022. Uh, a couple of caveats. One, these may not be films that were released in calendar year 2022, but these are lists of films that we watched last year and uh, and had a... Positive reaction to right some little maybe not failure pieces but some some little you know mini things that you may you may find enjoyable some stuff that maybe uh, rose to the the top of the crop rather than that that sort of foamy underside that we so often deal in um, but yeah so we're gonna talk about some of these favorites some of these ones that we remember fondly um, no inherent organizing principle these aren't ordered lists or um, you know, these were our favorites, just some movies that we had some really fun times with over the course of 2022, uh, which I feel in general, and, and I'm curious to see what you think about this, was a pretty good year for movies. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, not just in, in terms of volume, but we actually got some really quality films in 2022 that were released. Um, it seems like Hollywood is sort of surging back to life in a post-COVID environment. A lot of projects that were put on hold or were slowed down because of pandemic-related issues have now been sort of released or in, in, in many ways a flurry of releases. There was just so much that seemed to come out last year. But uh, so I don't know if you had similar feelings about you know sort of the, the state of the the film industry in 2022, but I feel like things are, kind of looking up, maybe?
1: I I feel the same way. I saw so many movies this year, and I was excited by a lot of movies this year, and I tend to get really disheartened because years will go by, and I'll be like, I haven't seen a good movie in such a long time. Or, you know, I'll see one movie, and I'll be like, well, that's it. That's the best movie this year. Pack it in. (laughs) Um...
0: That's it everybody.
1: So yeah, I I I feel like I I watched a lot and it was all really good. Well, not all of it. Some of it was bad. No,
0: there were definitely some stinkers, but we're not going to focus on those today. Um all right, so I'm going to start with a a heavy hitter, so to speak, and I don't think you've had the chance to see this one yet, but I'll go ahead and throw it out there, uh one Mr. James P. Cameron's Avatar to the Way of Water.
1: I keep meaning to see this movie. Um, and I will. <laughs> it's just the nearest movie theater. I have to take a train and, you know, <laughs> I'll see oh, it. I, I really will. Take,
0: I have to take low-cost <laughs> public <laughs> transportation that's comfortable to go I to I have the to, the like, walk. Oh, man. No. Ugh, <laughs>
1: use my fucking legs. <laughs>
0: No, it's it is. Going to a theater, you know, it's it's a sort of ritualistic practice for uh for our family. We you know, there was a time there where most weekends, you know, on a Saturday we would be trying to go to the movies. It certainly is not that common anymore. But we're fortunate that really about a half an hour away, you know, a a little bit less, we have a, a very nice movie theater that has, you know, pretty quality screens very comfortable seating you know so we we do indulge fairly often and and we did for avatar um, we saw avatar in the highest quality projection that we could at that location uh, which means we did see it in high frame rate and we did see it in 3d and um, you know I, I don't want to get too bogged down in the movie going experience but I, I will say that I appreciate Cameron's desire to use high frame rate effectively in a film like Avatar. Um, The 3D was stellar. The 3D on the first one was stellar. This one was even better. Like it was remarkably good. Um, Just hands down, no, no equivocations, no like, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't like 3D, no, like even, even if you hate 3D, the 3D in this movie is fucking fantastic. It is absolutely off the chains, but uh, high frame rate is still a bit of a weird thing and And one is because we don't see it. Um, you know we we you and I play a lot of video games. Video games run at sixty frames a second. So I'm very experienced at, you know I, I understand what forty eight frame and sixty frame per second content looks like. and and I'm cool with it. I, I think his decision to limit it to the flying and underwater scenes was smart um because you don't need that kind of detail in a talkie scene with characters sitting next to each other. That was one of the problems with high frame rate in The Hobbit. That's what made it look fake. As <laughs> so much people sitting in a room in high frame rate is like way more visual detail than you need. Yeah. I think he should have gone a step farther and just done high frame rate underwater. Because the, the underwater sequences, the high frame rate is barely noticeable because underwater, things like motion blur and all the stuff that that, you know, 24 frame per second film does, Kind of doesn't matter. Like, we don't have a frame of reference for it. And so we don't necessarily think it looks weird. The flying scenes being in high frame rate still looked a little hinky from time to time. Well, it, it looked like a video game. That's the thing. It, it looked very video gamey. A lot of movies so if,
1: look like video games now, though.
0: So, and that's the thing. Like, modern CG special effects, they're that's kind of the effect that it's going to have anyway. So, but I would actually say check it out. In, in that, like I I would actually be curious to just see it in a standard you know two D presentation. Um, I imagine it's still going to be stunning, but you know it was it was an interesting enough experience that I actually didn't you know have a bad time at that, and I would actually recommend seeing it in that fact in in that fashion if you can. Uh, I think it's kind of worth it because it is it is very g- gorgeous. Like the film is a visual triumph, and and it still has all of Cameron's hallmarks the action sequences in Avatar 2 are bewilderingly good. Like to the point that you watch Black Panther 2 and you go like, what is happening here? Like, what, Where? Where is this difference taking place? Um, but a lot of it just has to do with a sort of readability on screen. You're always, I mean, even though the films are very complex and there's tons of shit going on, you always know where characters are, what characters are doing how their actions are affecting the characters around them. Like Cameron is just naturally good at communicating all of that information despite the complexity of what's going on. Um, so uh, Avatar 2 definitely sits towards the top for me. I don't know if I'd say it was my favorite film of the year. I don't think it was, but it is an exceptionally good film. It's one of the best action films released in the last five or six years easily. And I'm I'm not talking like the John Wick style Kung Fu, you know, shooty punchy action I'm talking about like big large-scale epic you know action sequences that Cameron's are just top-notch I mean they're just unbelievably good Um, from a story standpoint and this is where most people have been attacking Avatar 2 is that the story is pretty simple it's very straightforward it's a natural progression on from where Avatar 1 left off as you would expect but there is a significant time jump and I would say really the first 40 minutes of the movie just sort of summarizes in brief what might have been the script for avatar two 10 years ago. Like it's, it's sort of what you might've expected an avatar two to be, you know, Jake and the getting together, having kids, starting a family, continuing to fight the humans or whatever. Um, and all of that's like condensed down into like a 30 minute like hey here's what we were doing and then the actual like movie starts so what what i think people may not realize is that james cameron has been trying to continually simplify the action storyline since terminator 2 because if you look at cameron's you know output from a plot standpoint In my opinion, Terminator 2 is the last time that he made a truly, I'm not even going to say complex, but I'm going to say at least a a somewhat, if you weren't paying attention, you might get lost in Terminator 2, right? Would you agree? Um, If you were just like, kind of like dipping in, in between, you know, insta conversations.
1: I I could see that. I mean, that's, it is hard for me to fathom that just because I, I don't know a world where there's no Terminator 2 where you wouldn't know everything about it. But yeah, I I could see that.
0: But like Cameron has been, what Cameron discovered a long time ago, and I think Terminator 2 taught him this lesson, is that you keep the plot of these big action blockbusters ridiculously simple, right? So that anybody and everybody can follow along, understand what's happening, no questions, you know, no like, wait, what is that? Wait, was that a thing? Like none of that. Because if that's the case, you can just get pulled along with the visuals and the experience and what he's trying to, to convey. It was the same criticism levied against Avatar. Oh, this is Fern Gully for adults. Fern
1: Gully you know, fucking rules. So
0: I'll there's a reason, problems. right? Like that's, that's, that's universal storytelling. And honestly, that's where, and we're going to talk about a couple of Marvel movies here, but that's where Marvel is starting to have problems. That's why phase four has been rough is because the, The plot of the overarching MCU is getting so complex now that it's work to keep up with it, right? Can you go to Dr. Strange 2 and enjoy yourself because it's a Dr. Strange movie? Maybe, but increasingly the answer is no. You know, like, at least to me, like, I can't, I mean, I think about the conversations I have to have to explain Connections with other, you know, I'm like, talking I, to somebody and they're like, I am what was over-whelmed this thing in Doctor strange
1: by those movies. And totally. And to be fair, I have read comic books. <laughs> like really? I'm not, yeah. I'm not stupid. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I use stupid very lightly, but like, I'm not an outsider and I am right. still you probably have,
0: you have higher than average comic book storyline intelligence for sure.
1: And I'm you know? still but at a still. loss where it's like, I don't, I don't know what's happening anymore. And part of it, I think, is yes. just how those movies are made.
0: Yes. I mean, it, that's that's part of it. You know, they've kind of built themselves into a corner into what a Marvel movie is. And the things that push outside those boundaries generally get sort of soundly and roundly, you know, dissed by the community because this is what we expected. But yet, at some point, they're going to need to break their own formula if they want to move forward. And I, I just don't know if they can or will do that. Um, and we'll talk about some Marvel stuff on here. I had some good Marvel experiences in the theater this year, but definitely it's, it, it was a bit of a down year in terms of Marvel's output. Um, but so, um, Avatar has none of that baggage, right? You've got the first movie, but honestly, even if you didn't watch the first movie, there is nothing in this movie that would not make sense to you, right? You could walk in totally fresh and you would get everything that you need to follow straight along the only, you wouldn't get some of the character relationships because there are some returning characters that have history with our main characters, that kind of thing. But, but again, it's explained like you, it tells you exactly what those relationships are, but you may not sort of understand the full depths of it without that previous experience. But so released from that, you know, people can kind of come to it fresh and say like, well, what is this? And, and I think You know, Cameron has has figured that out. He figured that out a long time ago. You keep the story simple, you keep the plot straightforward, some minor reveals throughout to sort of build some interest, and you just sort of let let the action play and and avatar works. It works. And that's why it's crossing a billion and a half dollars and Probably gonna go on to be one of the most successful films of all time. That's crazy. Again. I
1: can't believe he did it again. He did it again. He just I keeps mean, again, doing it.
0: <laughs> I read all I read all the think pieces, like, oh, this is it. This is the end for Avatar. Jimmy Cam Jimmy Cameron's not gonna be able to pull this one off. And then it's like, yeah, man. No. I mean, we've said it before, we'll say it again. You never count Jimmy C out of the game yep. because he's gonna surprise you every single Who's time. Who's in
1: the house? J C. JC. <laughs> Little Carmen lyrics. <laughs> a little
0: Carmen for you. Oh God. I do have to mention this here. Uh Red Litter Media did a wheel of the worst this week, and on the wheel was Carmen's The Standard. Fuck yes. Uh it's a great that they didn't spend a ton of time on it for obvious reasons, but uh it's it's pretty good. Uh but yes, uh it's it's just one of those things. Uh it's big budget action filmmaking at its absolute finest. Uh, still the best action game around. Uh, and and truly, as as it gets into the hands of the film industry, people have been talking about Avatar 2's special effects and visual effects for a while already. You know, Wet has been on this thing for you know a decade at this point. And I, I think it will be another landmark step forward in the quality of visual effects work in film. Like it will it will spiral because it's exceptional. At no point did I ever be like, "Well, well that's a CG shot." One, because it's all CG, so you yeah, can't really matter. you don't know, get the distinctions. Um, it's it, it was solid. I enjoyed it. So I, I hope you get a chance to see it. I think it's well worth the trip. It is, and it is a three hour film. Yeah, three, three hours plus. So you know, buy some snacks, get comfortable. My ass hurts. Go to a place with heated it. seats. It, I will say I did not feel it while I was watching it. I didn't even get up to go to the, I didn't even get up to go to the bathroom, which, you know, as as an, (laughs) as an elderly man, this is a (laughs) challenge. Um, but uh, no, it was engaging and engrossing enough that I, I, I was able to just sort of stay with it the whole time and, uh, really good. Uh, and if you've ever wanted to see Sigourney play a teenage cat girl, this is the film for you. I
1: haven't not wanted to see that.
0: I was surprised by how much I was, by how how little I knew I wanted that, but was so happy that I got it.
1: James Cameron um, just reads your mind.
0: He just, yep, we're connected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so that's my first pick, my first favorite of the year, uh, even though it wasn't maybe my top, top film, it was definitely up there. Avatar 2, Way of Water. How about you?
1: Um, Well, I'll pick another one that I don't think you've seen yet. So you did one I, I hadn't seen, so I'll do one you haven't seen. I'm going to go with Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans.
0: The Fablemans. The Fablemans. Uh, no, I have, I have not watched this. Uh, I have it downloaded. I have it ready to go. And I was actually thinking about watching it tonight. But no, I have not it's... yet seen it. Although I, I have started watching, with all the Golden Globes stuff, I've seen a lot more clips and uh, pieces in the last few weeks. Some, some things that have gotten me a little bit more hyped to check it out
1: it was really it was really sweet um i love steven spielberg i i just i i just recently like i'm a i i uh watched a video from Lindsay ellis about et um Mm, yeah and just she she loves the movie and she was just kind of doing a retrospective and i i Remembered how much I love ET, and I just I got to thinking about Steven Spielberg all over again. Um, and this is kind of a I won't say a unique movie because he's been doing serious stuff for the past decade and a half. He's kind yeah, of focused. Spielberg's
0: been in that mode for a bit now.
1: Yeah, and this is no exception. It's not. It's not a. It's not an action movie. It's not a. It's not a Spielberg. 90s movie it's
0: no one goes up in an alien spacecraft at the end.
1: No. You're saying. No. Okay. And, and as much as I would have liked to have seen that uh at the same time <laughs> it's very lighthearted drama and I get I mean I've talked about this before. I get very worn out by downer media and we've got plenty of that to talk about <laughs> in this episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. But this is this is like a a lighthearted. I mean they're very serious very stark, very scary moments in this because it deals with right. fam- interpersonal relationships and family drama, things that, you know, will tug at your heartstrings and make you feel feelings, which, you know, which if I, you have any I guess feelings left,
0: if you have feelings left to pull, <laughs> which I, I guess it's worth noting for those who may not know that this is a fictionalized retelling of Steven Spielberg's and, childhood.
1: And I've, I've read um, articles that this is barely fictionalized
0: right it l- lightly
1: nationalized yeah. yes. like kind of all he did was change people's names <laughs> um, right yeah because i i think there was something i read in an interview i i guess with um uh Michelle williams where he spielberg cried a lot just on set making this movie like apparently it was that mm-hmm. much of a a one to one of his life and
0: right and williams's performance as his mother apparently yeah. was she's great was, he struggled to get through that
1: it's yeah. very you kind of don't know what to make of it at first because it is very much a character like you can tell she's she's doing something that that you wouldn't see in a lot of modern like playing up a, a wistful mother like she's she's doing something that's kind of unique um so it's maybe a little off putting at first cuz you're like what is this voice what is this affectation but it ends right. up it's yeah. it's this character it's this person and it it's very charming. Um Paul Dano I think
0: some of yeah oh, oh god yeah I I've just, been I watched all of his like GQ interviews and uh, going through his career when this came out and uh Dano is one of the most underrated or Dano I guess it's Dano actually um is one of the most under, I'm not even gonna say underrated cause people obviously understand how good he is, but he is truly an exceptional actor. Um, and, and I, I sort of universally love him and just about everything that he does. Like he, he really hasn't made a bad film in his yeah. career, which for a guy who started off in his teens, you know, really, I guess with, you know, the, the one, two fucking punch of there will be blood and little miss sunshine. Um, he has made remarkably smart decisions, and I will say that I wouldn't have. I I saw people specifically addressing the casting of this and saying like somehow that the casting was wrong, and I'm like, well, it's Spielberg casting his parents, so he kind of gets to pick. Who yeah, who I don't think that, we get right? to decide.
1: You know, who like, plays so, those people?
0: I mean, and again, if, if one of the challenges is is for a director who is you know dipping into their personal life to tell a story, you know, you, when casting your parents, I mean, obviously you, you can't get them physically and you don't want them, but you're trying to capture a person, right? A, a, yeah. a feeling, a, a vibe, if you will, to use the common parlance of today <laughs> that, that they capture. And, and I, I did watch an interview with Michelle Williams where she said that Spielberg like basically called her out of the blue. Like there was no auditioning process. There was no, there was no like exploratory process of like hey you know would you be interested in this like he called her up and he said I'm making this movie here's the story they're talking over zoom during the pandemic obviously and and he's like and I want you to be my mom and she's like what like they <laughs> didn't even they didn't even know each other beyond just the courtesies of of their profession and he and he picked her so i mean that says something about what Spielberg knew he wanted in his mind and and then finding somebody to occupy that space. And so, um, I'm not going to get into, you know, I'm not going to be like, that's not Spielberg's mom. I'd be like, who the fuck am I to say that? You know, I mean, you can address their performances. I know a lot of people have focused on Seth Rogen in this as well, that he's extremely good as the, as the uncle character. He he did not
1: do his stoner laugh once.
0: Shocking. I
1: I know I was, I, but remarkably restrained. <laughs> 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 um.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I'm 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 excited to watch it because we we actually my my son we we went on vacation. We went to Disney World, and uh, in, in between the recording of these these podcasts, and uh, we went to the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular, which had been reopened, and and. Boy, was it a fun thing. I, I remember watching it back in the 90s when we went and had a great time then. Bought a fedora hat at the thing that I still have upstairs. And and after it, my son was like, you know, I really don't remember those Indiana Jones movies because the last time we watched them he was probably like, I mean, at best seven or eight, probably a little younger. And so we kind of been going through them. We watched Raiders. Uh, we watched Temple of Doom. And you know what? I'm watching them and just basking in 80s spielberg right because 80s spielberg all spielberg is great but 80s spielberg is like a dude functioning at his peak of powers right like raiders of the lost ark is such an effortlessly good film like it's it seems like they're not even working hard to make what is one of the most titanic achievements of adventure action filmmaking of all time temple of doom but temple of doom is where i wanted what i wanted to mention because temple of doom you know, I obviously, the same. I do too. <laughs> it, it might be my favorite. It's the I worst it. of them objectively, but I it may be my personal favorite, regardless. It's a, the it's one I B, always want to watch. Harrison Ford. It's peak. Like he looks so good at that yeah. movie. It is and he has dumb. his shirt
1: off for a lot of it.
0: For ninety percent of it, his shirt is either torn or just gone. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Peaky Harrison Ford. It's it's Ki-Hee Kwan, which we're gonna talk about later. Um, and again. It's so rare to have a kid actor who comes on screen and just immediately nails it immediately. Right. We're talking like L fanning territories, which that's another Spielberg child actor discovery Drew Barrymore, Henry Thomas. Like he's just got a feel for it. But like I'm watching Temple of Doom and that movie is Spielberg at his most. I mean, he's like a live wire emotionally in that film. I mean, apart from the fact that a dude literally gets his heart ripped out of his chest instead of,
2: you know, it was,
0: it was, um, but I mean, uh, very famously, both Lucas and Spielberg were going through divorces and relationship breakups at the time, you know, Spielberg's relationship with Amy Irving was falling apart and, and Spielberg had had a messy, messy divorce with Marsha Lucas. Uh, Post Empire, I guess, really kind of like right after Return of the Jedi, the, their their relationship collapsed, and so it's these two, you know, boomers, basically, you know, in the midst of relationship upheaval, just laying it all out there, right? And people talk about how dark and dangerous Temple feels, you know. There's no fun in that movie, which I disagree with. Uh, uh, that that hey, takes entirely.
1: She was fun.
0: And she's so goofy and funny. She's and my just that.
1: You know, and I know this is sacrilege to say because I know everybody's like Marion. Everybody Marian's loves Marion. Yeah. And I love Karen Allen so much, but I love Willie. Like she's <laughs> and I love saying that too. Um, I'm <laughs> <I like> sorry. <laughs> least, I like but but like I yeah. love yeah, I that you. character so much. She's and yeah, not and she's she's beautiful and she was funny and she was sassy. And no wonder Steven Spielberg married her
0: absolutely. I would have married and her too. apparently happily so, um years later. I mean, it was you know the nineties before they actually got together but but i I think it was a reminder to me that one of the reasons why Spielberg is so good is that he is so emotionally connected to his work, yeah, right he is. You know, people talk about Christopher Nolan being so cold, which, again, I disagree with that take. It's like trying to say that Stanley Kubrick is is cold like he's not. But his filmmaking can be. Whereas Spielberg, that's that's why his films are so powerful and connective and emotional is because he himself is an emotional open door and sincere. Exactly. He's, He's there is not an insincere, cynical bone in that man's filming body like it just doesn't exist. And when he tries to go cynical, which I would say Minority Report gets the closest, even still, he has to pull back at the end, mm-hmm. and then all all the precogs are like on an island in a cabin reading, reading, you know, that's
1: books. and and I think that's you know, why you like just
0: can't do it. I you know?
1: think that's why Spielberg's AI is a better movie than what Kubrick's than what AI Kubrick would have made.
0: Fit. Sure, I agree. Yeah.
1: Um, because we needed something happy. We needed some sincerity and some gentleness in that movie. Otherwise, it would be fucking harrowing. It's brutal. Um, and, yeah, absolutely. And, and in, in terms of sincerity, the Fablemans is... <laughs> you kind of want to... I don't know. He has this ability to make you want to live a life that you can't live. Where like you mm. you just you feel like you do you have lived this life somehow. you're nostalgic for things that you've never experienced almost um, sure. the The nods to his pioneering in filmmaking, making his indie films as a young man is some of the best stuff I've ever seen in a movie. like it was it was wonderful. Um, just seeing how he became who he is. And how that that sincerity and that sort of artistic eye followed him his entire life. Like it, you know, you don't want to say somebody's, you oh, know, you're just born with it, because it's not just that. You know, you have to work to get to his level of expertise of his craft, but sure. he was born with something.
0: Yeah, there's a. I mean, at at the level at which Spielberg has consistently operated for the last forty years. That's, that goes beyond just proficiency and skill, yeah. um, which he has those in spades. Because there have been many, many proficient and skillful directors. I mean, like, um, you know, one I, I like to look at is the director of The Exorcist, right, um, Friedman. Proficient, skillful, talented, capable, totally flamed out on the back half of his career in terms of quality, right? I mean, not, and, and not necessarily, on, you know, as, as or William Friedkin, sorry, no, no, sorry, I think somebody else, but anyway, um, you know, and, and again, not, not badly, you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with um, any of his output, but Spielberg has just been at this level for so long that, yeah, it does imply a sort of inherent quality that he possesses that many of his contemporaries did not. And maybe, know, it some, you know, maybe it is sincerity. Maybe like it is like this
1: genuine yeah. nature that he has like a, like a passion that's in no way cynical.
0: Right. I mean, and, and ultimately that's what film as a visual media can do better than just about any other media is connect emotionally with an audience. And, and Spielberg at the end of the day may be one of the directors that is some of does that better than a lot of others you know perhaps the best and um you know i i find his work to be pretty thrilling um you know he even i mean and and i know we differ in opinion on this one at all but he turned ready player one into a fair a fairly decent movie
1: he's the <laughs> only person who could
0: and no one else could have done that because that book is garbage yeah. like hot garbage the sto- the story is dumb the concept is dumb everything about it is dumb the execution's terrible like i haven't um, always
1: enjoyed the projects that he's chosen and like what sure. he has he has used his talent for but there is not a movie he's made that doesn't look incredible and doesn't find some way to connect with a viewer even something like ready player one even something like uh AI, which like people did not like that movie. I mean, let's go back. No. <laughs> people did not respond well to that. Um, but he still finds some way to make it not just approachable, but special.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I agree hundred percent. Nothing Spielberg has ever done has felt purely work for hire. Like I yeah. just, I just did this because I need to make a check everything. And he's, I, I guess it's, he's a director that's been in a position where he can, be that selective about his projects. Not everybody gets that choice. But uh, yeah, so if, if The Fable lives up to that and is capable of sort of connecting emotionally while conveying the story about how film and, and making film has changed his life, then I, I have to watch it. So that one will get bumped. We'll, we're going to watch that one pretty soon.
1: That little Gabriel Labelle fella is adorable. <laughs> I, nice. I just, his performance is great. Got to call out a young person doing a good job.
0: And, you know, again, if there's one thing Spielberg has proved that he is, you know, a multiple level threat at is he's also a director that's fantastic at working with actors. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, not every director can do, but apparently he can. So. All right. So the Fableman's definitely one to check out should be hitting video on demand if it hasn't already. Um you know, just a, another sort of Spielberg classic, uh, which I will throw in there just as one final coda to that. Uh, we did watch his version of West Side Story this year. I, I didn't put it on the favorites because it's West Side Story. I mean, of course. Yeah. But his version is exceptional. Like, of course. Um, it's the, the dance hall scene when they're all in there doing the, the first initial dance and they all meet there's a Spielberg wonder at the opening of that thing. That is mind blowing. Like, I don't know how they did it because it's, it, it comes in through the doors down a hallway into the gym. I think there's, there's a fairly significant dolly. Then it pans up. Then it cranes over the group, back down into the group, follows them dancing and then terminates by going out the same set of doors that you came in. Nice. It's crazy. um, Just remarkable. Like Spielberg's an, an incomparable filmmaker at this point. Everything he does is important, even if it doesn't find commercial success, which unfortunately yeah. the Fablemans did, did not as far as I know, but, uh, okay, so uh, another recommendation from me is actually going to go uh, a little bit more cheap, a little bit more tawdry, and that is Scream 5. Um, Screamo Ooh. Ooh. Um A an, an ostensible reboot of the franchise. We introduce some new characters, some fresh blood into the town of whatever that town is called <laughs> west westview westfield i don't remember doesn't matter um I, i'm not going to talk about this one a lot uh i think it's it's a clever enough way to handle the scream you know where scream can go from here and sort of sort of keep it alive we are getting another sequel this year apparently moving to new york city for the first time which will be kind of interesting i suppose Um, mostly I wanted to call this one out because I think it's elevated by the presence of Jack Quaid, uh, who is rapidly becoming a favorite actor of mine. Uh, I love him on the boys. I adore him as Brad Boimler on star Trek, lower decks. Uh, and, and he's very good in this. Uh, he was great in scream five. Many people are it's, it's the legacy sequel thing. You know, we've got David Arquette, we've got Courtney Cox, we've got, Nev Campbell all the you know the biggies all come back to play their part but it really is about this new crop of characters and how they're dealing with you know the the threat of ghostface um but i was i was surprised by it it's on paramount plus now i think so easy to get a hold of <clears throat> uh but just good it was it was good um and i haven't really felt comfortable saying that about a scream movie in a while um so you know if if you like the scream franchise watch Scream 1, then maybe watch Scream 2, skip 3 and 4, and watch 5. Then you'll be good. Hmm. All right. Next up from you.
1: Let's see. I'm looking at my list here. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the most recent All Quiet on the Western Front. I did um, not. It is. It's great. Uh, I know. I mean, this is not like a new thing they've made films out of this book before. I've never read the book um because that wasn't required reading in school here.
0: Mm-hmm. Um I, I may I think I read it when I was high school and age, like to
1: be honest with you, I don't think it's a book that I would have enjoyed because I don't like reading about war. I just
0: mm-hmm.
1: I I just find I find war movies to be very difficult to watch. Um ironically one of my favorite war movies is a Steven Spielberg movie of Saving Private Ryan. I love that movie. Shocking. Um yeah. yeah, like what a surprise. Uh but this this film was beautiful. Like it, but it's it's definitely hard to watch. I mean it's um World War One sucked. Like it sucked a lot. And we know that. We've read yeah. about it in history books, just how awful it was, but something about the kind of claustrophobic nature of the way that this movie was made um, and how closely it follows the main character and how you, you experience things really through him. It's so much more horrible. Um, yeah. So it's not like a, a light weekend watch. It's more of a prepare yourself a bit like oh, if you're feeling yeah. a certain way sit down and, and watch it but it, it was great and of course we watched it uh you know in German. So we didn't do the english dub i've heard the english dub is pretty bad um
0: dude mo- almost every netflix english I, dub is garbage like it, they just must much. spend zero dollars on it they're all yeah. fucking terrible yeah
1: so i i definitely wouldn't recommend that but the the uh the original german it was it was great um but it's it's not a happy watch. So no, in that no. regard, I I you know, if you want to watch something that's lighthearted and fun, maybe don't watch this. Uh but it was beautifully shot. I mean, it's 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 very it's very sparse. Um, and like I said, the the main takeaway that I had visually was that it's very claustrophobic, which of course was like a characteristic of World War One. It was
0: yeah, I mean, in the trenches, coming through close quarters, um, yeah, and you really do
1: feel that uh, the trench scenes are particularly good. But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. That's awesome for being a Netflix release. I <laughs> you know well, I, yeah I, I don't expect like high quality with Netflix movies anymore. Um, safe, but this, safe bar to try and clear. Yeah, this was really good. Really good. Awesome.
0: Yeah, the last uh, war movie I engaged with was Dunkirk. Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk which I enjoyed but it too is a, is a, a harrowing film. Uh Saving Private Ryan's been on the docket to to watch with the kids once they get just a little bit older cuz yeah. not that that movie is excessive in any way it's really not but it is it is a challenging film to watch there's a lot of really you know brutal brutal losses in that. And moment.
1: this and this is very so. similar. One thing I do want to say though is I could not believe that the the lead actor in All Quiet is Felix
0: Cameron. Uh, yeah.
1: This is his first movie. Remarkable. And I cannot believe that. He was incredible. Just an incredible actor. Um But yeah, I looked I looked him up after we watched and I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. He's never been <laughs> in a movie before. Like he's been in nothing. I mean- no TV, I mean, in some cases no that
0: probably helped because, you know, he's he's just as raw and fresh as yeah, he was as, the um, the greenhorn young lad was. So that's awesome. That is definitely I've added it to my Netflix wish list. We recently downgraded. We just haven't been watching Netflix stuff, very minimally. And so it's we hard downgraded to, find to like the base plan. <laughs> and now we've got there are like some ads in there now, and it's like, oh God, I don't I want to watch this even less. But you know, the movies aren't too bad. So um, yeah, I'll probably just watch this one. This one, you'd by probably myself. be
1: thankful for an occasional ad break so that you can step <laughs> away from the moment, the a horror. moment to
0: recover. Yeah, I mean, just it's, like
1: I need a drink.
0: <laughs> yeah, give me a second. Uh, all right, so that's All Quiet on the Western Front, available streaming now on Netflix. Watch it in its original German and just do the reading. Uh, you'll yeah. probably enjoy it. You um, know how again, to read. <laughs> Netflix dubs are terrible. Don't, yeah. Use them. Uh, all right. So uh, another one for me uh, before we get into man, I was a real basic bitch movie watcher this year. I gotta say, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't push the boundaries of taste or anything most of the time. Um, but one that I can dispense with relatively quickly. That again, unfortunately, you probably haven't seen yet. I think we're we're building to the ones that we have both seen together. Is Top Gun: A Maverick. Um,
1: I saw a, a screenshot of the part when. Val Kilmer shows up and I started yes. crying
0: that And I scene don't know works. if I can
1: handle that. Cause I just it's love Val so Kilmer.
0: <laughs> good. It's so good. Um, shockingly good how they handled that. Um, okay. So number one, first thing I'm going to shout out about Top Gun Maverick directed by Joseph M effing Kaczynski. Joe, remember Here. the name kids, Joe Kaczynski. Do you know what Joe Kaczynski directed? I do <laughs> on two, which is the best movie that none of y'all have seen. Cause it's the best. It's so good. But then he made oblivion, which was his original idea with Tom Cruise a few years later. Apparently they liked working with each other. Tom Cruise notoriously likes to surround himself with the same people for all of his projects. Um, so he brought Kaczynski back. They've been working on this. Kaczynski pitched the idea for the film to Cruise, uh, apparently back in like 2016 or 17. Uh, obviously he was busy with Mission Impossible stuff. And then finally uh, they were able to work on this. I completely understand why Top Gun Maverick has been as successful as it is. Because it is one of, it. you know, like a lot of other films we saw this year, is a bit of a return a type of filmmaking that we haven't seen consistently for a long time. And in this case, that is the 80s action blockbuster. The people who made this knew exactly what they were doing and exactly the tone that they wanted to strike. And they hit it on basically every level. This is a this is another, you know, legacy sequel. We've got but rather than Tom Cruise being the cameo who comes in and then gets like murdered or something, he's, you know, the, still the main character. But we are definitely building a, a cadre of younger actors who can come in and sort of either supplement or, you know, they could they could continue making these movies with these characters now. Uh, it's the rare action blockbuster. Like we recently rewatched the original Top Gun and the original Top Gun is is a great movie. Like Tony Scott was the action director Rest of the 1980s. R.I.P. Tony S just the best. But that movie is sparse. Nothing happens in that yeah. movie by modern standards, right? There are like three aerial dogfights, then goose dies. Spoilers. Sorry. Um, <laughs> then goose dies. And then like the big action sequence and then out. Right. I mean, it's like 92 minutes long. It is super short. It's, well, it's probably not that short, but perfect. So this one is layering on complexity, but the thing that it does extremely well is that it's it's really got sort of one thing that it's building to and everything is about building to that. So there's this really nice sort of propulsive quality to all of the scenes. The scenes are edited flawlessly. Like this movie is edited so well, which is probably a function of how much aerial footage they were constantly cutting in and there's really you have to use that stuff in small pieces. Right. Because most of the aerial footage, you know, you're grabbing as actors are like trying to act inside of these planes. And it's it's a I can't imagine the nightmare of editing. Um, You know, some stories have come out now that basically when the actors would go up because they they set it up, they're all flying F-18s. Yet there are one seater F-18s and there are two seater F-18s. And they basically rigged a bunch of the two seater F-18s to look like one seater F-18s. And, and so they would put these actors in the back seats of these F-18s and then the pilots would go up and actually do all of the maneuvers they needed them to do. And then the actors were basically pantomiming and reacting and, but like they had to film themselves. Like there was no cameraman. So they had like cameras set up in the cockpit. They were responsible for turning them on, responsible for their makeup, getting all their gear on. Like there, that was just them up there with a the pilot being like, all right, we're going to execute two 360 spins, get ready. And then like go so just like crazy amounts of, of you know quite frankly innovation and in how they're getting this footage and it just, it's just it's incredibly energetic it's incredibly spry in terms of the narrative it just keeps you moving and goddamn Val Kilmer shows up and fucking kills it even though the dude can't speak Val Kilmer says one line one and it is crushingly good It's, oh my God. Anyway. um, Yeah. Top Gun Maverick. If you haven't seen it already, if you're one of like the eight people in the world that haven't seen it or the eight people in the United States, at least, I guess, I don't know. um, It's, it's well worth it. It's a great film. It's fun. It's extremely, extremely well acted and directed. Um, The aerial footage is stuff that we haven't seen anybody go out and do this without CG in forever. And that is one thing that I'm, I'm shocked by. I'm, There is CG all over this film, but it's background work. It's subtle work. You know, there's no like two CG airplanes dogfighting each other in the sky, you know, like stealth or some bullshit, you know, it's it's very good. And it just sort of piggybacks on emulates and then surpasses that concept of the 80s action blockbuster that's so sort of firmly rooted in our cultural consciousness here you know that it's it's a really excellently done film but here's the thing what i hope is that when joe kaczynski finishes top gun 3 or whatever he's working on now that disney goes to him they're like hey joe you directed a movie for us about oh 10 15 years ago now um it was called tron 2 right and, you know, people didn't see that one very much, but it's kind of got a little following now. You know, our Disney Plus numbers on it are pretty good. Would you be interested in directing a Tron 3? And then Joe Kaczynski just, like, arches his hand, arches his fingers, and he's like, finally, the plan has come to fruition. I would enjoy that. I, that's what I I would have. also
1: like for him but, to make that Black Hole movie that was teased in Tron Legacy.
0: Apparently, when Black Hole fell apart, this is what he started working on. That this this was where he went after the black hole movie dropped.
1: Did you see the the Netflix movie that he directed, Spiderhead?
0: Uh, Spiderhead. Yeah, I saw a little bit of it.
1: We watched that. Yep. It was well directed. I mean, it was it was attractive.
0: Right. Um, He's I like mean, it,
1: it's a good looking movie. Uh, but I didn't I didn't get it.
0: <laughs> I didn't. That's like a hacker movie, isn't it?
1: Uh, no, it's. Uh, it's like a,
0: it's like oh, wanna be like sci fi experimentation yeah, like, kind of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. It's
1: like it's like social commentary. <laughs> um,
0: sure. Yeah, it wasn't
1: really. It wasn't very good.
0: I'd be interested to know when that was filmed. It's obviously when he got because uh, Miles Teller is in um, Top Gun Maverick. He plays Rooster Goose's son. Um. So, anyway, I'll have to check that one out. I know I watched a couple trailers on it and was like, oh, it looks interesting enough. But yeah, It's case.
1: got Thor in it. That's Thor, right?
0: Everybody loves Thor, yep. Except okay. for Thor 4, which I guess we can talk about. Thor 4. Let's talk about the Marvel movies this year. We got three. We uh, Early in the year, we got Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, thumbs up on that one. I love Doctor Strange, though. I'm sort of like... My my top three Marvel characters are weird. My number one is Iron Man, but I loved Iron Man well before <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. came along and made him cool. Um, but uh, Iron Man is my number one Marvel character. My number two is Doctor Strange, without a shadow of a doubt. And they may even fight for supremacy periodically, um, like those. And then we get into a couple, you know, some some X Men characters after that. But those are my two like favorite Marvel characters, and. I I think Benedict Cumberbatch is a fantastic Doctor Strange.
1: I well, he's a he good just, actor.
0: He's a good actor. I think he's a he's a nice match for who that character is and and how that character operates. I think his sort of like snarky asshole approach to it is is pretty solid. Um and he gets to Doctor Strange all over Doctor Strange in that movie. Like he's in nearly every scene and he's very good. Um it was also directed by Sam Raimi, so
1: that's pretty much the only reason that I want to see it, and I will at and, some point. And you
0: should because <laughs> it's more Sam Raimi than I expected it to be by a, a huge margin. I expected them to be like, "Okay, calm down, Sam," but no, it seemed like they were telling him, "No, no, Sam, do more of those things," and that made me happy. Uh, the final battle and how that's approached, uh, which I, you know, I won't spoil here, but is, is one of the most uh, raimy things that could have been ramied in that film. And it just Ramey all over everything. And it's pretty solid. Wonderful. I wish it had gone on longer. Um, but yes, yeah, so Dr. Strange too. I, I was, it was probably my favorite of the Marvel films released this year, but that was not a high bar too clear, unfortunately. Um, but it's, it's very good. I've watched it multiple times. My kids love it, which, Oh, as, as a, as a comic book loving dad, it's just, you know, it's like the Grinch. My his heart grew ten sizes that day when my kids are like, "Why don't we watch a Doctor Strange movie?" And I'd be like, "Yes, yes, we should." Wow. Um, but uh, so very good. Um, it has issues with its villain. Uh, a lot of people did not like that direction, especially given some of the other things that had happened earlier in Marvel Phase Four. I, I think it's fine. Like, I, I think the story, uh, the overall connective story between Doctor Strange and other Marvel movies. Those connections are like the weakest things in this. But there are some really cool moments in it. Uh, one I'll spoil because it was in the trailer because they couldn't help themselves. But Patrick Stewart is in this movie. Oh. Playing the character that you would expect him to be playing. But instead yeah. of being in that dumb silver wheelchair from those fucking movies, he's in his yellow floaty wheelchair
1: Ooh. from the animated series. And it's
0: very cool. Um, now where they go with it, probably not as cool as you would hope, but the fact that that shows up and they even do the little like animated <laughs> like, <mumbles> like when he shows up is like, there's a piece of me that will always respond positively to that. And there's nothing. <laughs> yeah. That, that pushes can, my buttons. Yeah. There is nothing that anything can do to stop me from loving Hearing that little sound as a guy in a yellow floaty wheelchair rolls on the <laughs> screen is just, I'm always gonna be like, yes, more of this, please. Um, so it really hit some good things, very Sam Raimi-esque. Um, I hope they they allow him to to come back and do some more Marvel work. Cause I think that's the kind of like directing juice that Marvel kind of needs at this point. They just they need something to sort of like give him some edge. And that worked for me. So Doctor Strange 2. Highly recommend it. It was my favorite Marvel movie of the year. Uh, we did get two others, however. We got Thor four, <laughs> or Th- uh, Thor four, uh, or Thor Love and Thunder, uh, which has been much maligned by the MCU community, if you want to call it that. The the rampaging neckbeards in their the basements, um, and they didn't like how funny it was. And I get it, right? Because one of the things that Thor Ragnarok did very well was have equal parts of Thor being a total dumbass but also being kind of awesome. This one was more of Thor being a dumbass than being awesome and I I get that that people felt that there was an imbalance there. But it's, you know, calm down you guys. Like I I I'm sitting here with a copy of a uh, Journey into Mystery with Thor from 1965 right next to me and um Thor's really goofy. Like Thor's a goofy ass well, character. Fan. He's been goofy from the start. um Wasn't like, this
1: Thor movie directed by Taika Waititi?
0: This is the second one directed by taiko Waititi. So, like, yes.
1: what do people expect? That he's a comedy? Person. He's a comedy guy.
0: And and if anything, it seems like because Ragnarok so successful, he's the guy who so made comedy
1: Hitler. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, comedy Hitler, and then comedy vampires. Right? Like that's that's kind of what he's known for. Um so I get that people felt the imbalance was wrong and I'll, I'll, what it really came down to is that a lot of the humor in this, the beats that came through was big, important thing happens, comedy diffuse, right? Which is fairly standard, you know, dram, dramatic comedy balance, right? Big thing happens, terrible thing, emotional moment, you know, dee, de- 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 de, you know, comedy beat to, to lift the spirits. And that happens pretty rapid fire throughout the film. I would still say, um, Christian Bale killed it as Gore the God Butcher. Like that is a violent, dark, just incredibly incredibly challenging character from the comics. Gore the God Butcher is exactly what he said. He butchers gods for fun, right? Like that's what he does. So they they took a different take on it, but Bale is universally fantastic. Um, Most of the side characters and supporting characters, obviously we see the return of Jane Foster, Natalie Portman's character from the first two Thor movies in an expanded role. Most of her stuff was very cool. This was just a kind of middling movie for me. I enjoyed a bunch of parts of it. I think as a total package, it's a little hit or miss, but it's not the disaster that everybody like, like people just lost their minds. Um, It's, it's fine. And it really wants to be kind of saccharine and sweet by design. But we also have to realize that we're reaching the end of our Chris Hemsworth Thor time. He's been doing this for like 15 years The dude's body is probably destroyed at this point. Like he looks very good. He's an, he's an, he's a handsome Australian man, but he has, he has lived this insane bodybuilder life for like 18 years or something now. And I just don't think he can do it anymore. Like I just, it's, he is either on so much HGH or so much steroids that I just, I imagine his body is just telling him like, dude, it's, We need to stop.
1: I am disturbed (laughs) by Marvel bodies. I just, I mean, we're making those men look like freak shows.
0: Yeah, I mean, like we're we're past the point where I mean, I love that they still tell people that it's just like good diet and exercise. No,
1: like you're eating Mm -mm, a lot of steroids. Like breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
0: (laughs) The more, the more I've, I've, you know, and I'm not going to say that you know I've done my research. I haven't, but you know the the basics of what I know about a 45 to 50 year old man maintaining that much muscle mass, it's physically impossible. Well, unless, I, I, you know, like
1: I saw something online the other day that, that showed a side by side of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine in 2000. And then Hugh Jackman as Wolverine in whatever the last fucking Wolverine movie was. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of sickening because like Hugh Jackman, it, he has a, he had a great body. He still does. Yeah, it's kind of great um, physique. and the dude's a dancer, so like, of course, he he's in great shape. But what he has had to do to his body to make it look like this this crazy, outrageous Marvel look is it's gross. He looked mm. so good in two thousand, and he was not in like that ridiculous cut, right. crazy. I wasn't
0: expected at that. Point. But
1: it, like he looked so much better, just as like a normal person, like a normal, really super fit guy. That looked better. I'm just I'm sort of repulsed by by what they put those people through.
0: It, it's I mean, again, I'm not making any accusations. Like if they're doing it naturally, and Hemsworth has been very open about his. They're not his his, his process. You know what? I'll make
1: those accusations. You're not doing it naturally. Fuck you if you say that. Like you're being coached by Disney to say that because they don't want to admit that they use unsavory practices to make people look like freak shows. Yeah,
0: that's what they do. So so Thor four was fine. Uh, I'm not going to add it to my favorite list of the Marvel films. That's Doctor Strange for the year. Uh, And then the last one was Black Panther, two which again is a titanic achievement because they made a black Panther movie without, without black, the Panther. black Panther. <laughs> like that's, like I didn't know how they were going to do it. I, I suspected that they would struggle and it came off much, much better than, than I expected it to. Um, we do get to see some really awesome characters, some newer characters like Riri Williams, who's now known as iron hearts, the sort of new, uh, the young Avengers, Iron Man, um, which they are definitely making a young Avengers. That's where we're headed. Like that's, that's the whole thing. But anyway, um, Black Panther 2 was very good against some dodgy special effects in the back half. Like, just like, man, come on. Um, but honestly, seeing Namor fly around with his little wingy feet, super cool. Um, I, I wish they would have pronounced his name consistently because he was Namor in some cases, Namor in other cases, Namor in other ones. <laughs> it's like, which, which is it you guys? Like, I don't We're understand. not sure. Um, yeah, we don't know. But uh, all of that stuff was cool. I Was not expecting to see sort of, uh, you know, Namor the Submariner making his way into the MCU at this phase. But I'm I'm happy he's there. Um, so a very cool thing. And and a, another movie in the Marvel universe that sort of succeeds because it has a tone that's a little different. There's an overall melancholy to Black Panther two for obvious reasons. That they just sort of don't they don't try to dispense with and move on from. They just sort of wallow in it. In a way that feels entirely appropriate, and it's one of the and it's a movie that has a sort of thematic grasp of how you convey and process grief on film, and that is not a thing that you generally get in one of these movies. So um, I thought it was very successful at at what it set out to do. Obviously, it it still has Chadwick Boseman looming large over the proceedings. Um, I I think it might have. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth getting into that, but I know that Bozeman's family felt strongly that they should just recast the character to not end T'Challa as a character in the MCU with Bozeman. I understand why the filmmakers didn't want to, but at the same time, like T'Challa is a sort of essential pillar of the Marvel universe. And, you know, that character has a lot, has a, has a big role to play. In, in the future of that. So I think they've set up some stuff to make sure that the Black Panther as, as a character exists and will continue forward. They obviously do that with this movie a bit too. Um, but yeah, it just just some things about that film kind of held it back from being my, my top top. But uh, certainly if you were a fan of the original Black Panther, I think it's, it's worth a watch. And, and even if you're not a big MCU person and you just kind of came to Black Panther as a fun action movie and enjoyed it, there's, there's enough here that I think you can, kind of get something from it but so my favorite mcu movie of the year dr strange and the multiverse of madness um with uh you know the other two slightly behind but you know didn't work as well for me as dr strange did all right next up um
1: okay well i know you didn't see this but i hope you watch it the it's another netflix movie netflix has had a few damn it good ones (laughs) Uh, and that is troll.
0: Uh, no, this one is. Uh, we've briefly talked about this a couple weeks ago, and so I added it to the watch list, but I had not watched it yet. So what is? I, troll?
1: it's a it's a Norwegian movie. Um,
0: oh oh, I see. No, I'm just
1: kidding. I, yeah, I mean, I would not have even. The thing is, my partner is the one. <laughs> who comes to me with these movies and he's like, we should watch this. It's called troll. It looks fun. Um, But yeah, we watched the trailer for it and it was going to come out early December on Netflix. And we thought, well, this will be funny if anything. And you know what? It was actually really good.
0: (laughs) I've heard very good things. Now I, Um, I certainly did watch the found footage. What was that? Troll Hunter. The, yeah. That movie that came out right that's back in like 2016, <laughs> which that's a fun one too, but I assume it's sort of treading similar ground This,
1: in some this is um This is a bit a bit lighter, fair this and it's it's definitely an action movie. It's definitely a monster film. Um, but it's about a, a young woman who uh oh, what does she do for a living? Um I think she's a paleontologist Okay, and she kind of gets roped into helping the Norwegian government with this weird disaster that occurs. Basically they awaken a troll and they don't believe that's what it is. And she has to convince them because she grew up with a kind of kooky, crazy dad who used to teach her about Norwegian like Scandinavian Nordic mythology of trolls and their origin in the mountains. And so she understands what it is and she has to convince the government that it's a troll and it's kind of ridiculous, but it was, it was actually a lot of fun and it's kind it's a little bit heartwarming because it's got a bit of a father daughter story in it. And it was cute. I just, I came away from it like, wow, I, did I really enjoy that movie that much? Um of <laughs> course good. you have the option to watch it in a really bad English dub, but of you course. should watch it in Thanks Norwegian Netflix. with subtitles. Um but yeah, it and it apparently it reviewed pretty well. Um it has kind of its standard plot. I mean, it's not doing anything exciting with a monster movie. Um I like that it goes a bit sympathetic with the monster. I always like when monster movies do that.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't Thanks, know Guillermo. why. Thanks, Guillermo del Toro. I know. You like, ruined I us. just just let us I, hate monsters. Damn
1: it! I I just I can't do it anymore. I just I love the monsters, and the troll is kind of lovable. I mean, sure. Yeah, um, and it's it's definitely ridiculous, and it's it is really really funny how the movie sort of centers the entire world on Norway. Cause I mean, that's how it is. You know, you make a movie that's within a country that's much, much smaller. It has to seem like it's a very, very big place. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, oh, so totally. that was, that was really interesting to see. Cause you know, I've, I watched so many dumb American movies and uh, I, I, I've liked expanding my horizons a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's actually quite fun. It was a fun movie and I, I have no regrets watching it, but don't expect Oscar winning anything.
0: (laughs) Well, sure. Yeah. Um, no, this is definitely on the list for me too. Um, and, and it's one that I, I want to, to watch. Um, like I said, I, I enjoy the mythology of the troll from that region. I think it's a really cool, you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, elves in iceland right like it's just it's an interesting part of the cultural heritage that sort of still persists yeah. and um yeah so that that in of itself is enough to sort of get me in the door so with that recommendation I, I will i will definitely check that out
1: oh and billy campbell's in it what billy campbell's in it yeah and nice. and guess what his character's name is
0: uh cliff
1: david Seacord.
0: dave Seacord, even yeah. better yeah
1: they're like holy so shit! Good. It's Billy Campbell,
0: yay! <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, uh, watch Billy Campbell in anything. I'll throw this back out here. It's a small
1: thing, but I just i oh, sure. got so excited.
0: Uh, I'll throw this back out here. It's a favorite movie podcast, but just since we're chatting about Billy Campbell, um, his Hulu show uh, Cardinal. It, it was a apparently it was a Canadian uh, murder mystery show. There's like three seasons. They're super short seasons, like four episodes each. It's like four mini movies. Um but his detective show, Cardinal, is
1: fucking great,
0: and he is great in it. Oh, my God. Um, find that show. Watch that show. Great police procedural. Nice. He's fantastic. It, oh, so good. Cardinal, uh, based on a really solid book series from uh, by a northern Ontario writer, by all accounts. Uh, super good. Man, I love it. So, yes, Billy Campbell. More Billy Campbell, please. Put Billy Campbell in everything. Put him in all the Norwegian (laughs) movies. Make another Rocketeer movie, you fucks. God damn it.
1: (laughs) Make Norwegian Rocketeer.
0: (laughs) Please. Put it on That would be a fun spin. Uh, All right, so that's Troll. Um, I'm going to hit a couple of... uh, Let's let's talk about some horror movies. Um, I'm going to hit a couple here that I don't know if you've seen or not, um, but I just want to comment on them real quick. Uh, One is Smile. Um, which man got a lot of fanfare? People went kind of nuts for Smile. Like, really? It was really that viral
1: marketing it. campaign.
0: I guess. I, I don't know. Um, I eventually checked it out. It did show up on Paramount Plus. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch this. It's fine. Um, that movie is it follows, but uh, oh. with a monster that makes you smile instead of have sex. Ah. Um, you might. Well, that's not as fun. Have sex after smiling, but it wasn't the point. Um, it's. Uh, I. I. Th- it's really trying to do something with trauma, like it really wants to say something about trauma. But what it says about trauma is really confusing and non-specific, because mm. it seems to say that trauma will eventually get you. So just oh. get fucked, loser. I guess well, I don't know. Um, that's a bummer. But uh, yeah, it's it's it was it was good. It, very jump scare heavy, of course, cause it's like that PG 13 horror thing. I don't think, I don't think it is PG 13, but it, it felt like they were going for it and then just couldn't quite get it across the line. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's good. I'm not going to list it as a favorite. I'm just kind of clumping some other ones together here that I saw, but, uh, it was okay. It is definitely worth a, a streaming watch if you have access to it already. Sure. Um, But I'm not going to focus on that one. But one I will call attention to that I I think you might have seen, I don't remember if we talked about it or not, is Barbarian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So directed by one of the whitest kids you know, Zach Kreger. Um, No other whitest kids you know alums that I noticed anyway. Um,
1: Apparently they aren't the whitest kids you know. I guess
0: they aren't the whitest kids you know anymore. And of course, Trevor passed away from an unfortunate accident earlier this year. So maybe that had some ramifications. I, I don't know. But um, yet yet another example of a former comedy dude becoming a pretty decent horror dude, which, of course, follows the trajectory of one Mr. Jordan Peele, who we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, but so Barbarian is is a relatively low budget, single location monster movie basically, um, with some fun twists, some solid performances, and a really, really good sense of atmosphere and and sort of tension building. Um, very surprised by it. A lot of people called this out as being a sort of exceptional example of the recent horror trends and genres. I, I was pretty impressed by it. It's, it's probably going to be one of my favorites of the year. Um, aside from the whole like weird Mid movie switch where Justin Long appears, and then he's got this whole thing going on. Uh, solid flick, uh, very good. So, uh, what were your thoughts on it? Um,
1: I really enjoyed it. It it did go a bit heavy handed with the the message in the end,
0: yeah. a bit.
1: And it's really only that final confrontation last
0: stretch, yeah,
1: where it it felt like okay, I get it. Bad. He's
0: he's a bad bad guy.
1: Um, that was the only thing that stuck with me that I didn't enjoy about the movie. Everything else was fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. The Um, end of it is really just that SNL sketch that goes on for just like 30 seconds too long. Like they just, they're in the joke and they're enjoying the joke. So they just kind of let it ride for just a hair longer than they should. And that's, that's kind of the ending of that movie. It's, it's, you may not feel that way. It's pretty earned in terms of how everything breaks down. But, but yeah, it's just kind and of, I,
1: I, I especially on. enjoyed Bill Skarsgård.
0: I just, yeah, I, I love him. He's got another movie coming out. They just released some screenshots for some kind of John Wicky style action thing. And I'm like, yes, I will be there for that because yeah. I'm kind of enjoying him and everything. He Skarsgård carries most of the tension and, potential for horror for the first act of the film because you think that everything's going to center on him being like evil and then the film twists and then it twists and then it twists and, and you end up sort of having a lot of sympathetic feelings for him and his character. And, yeah. and that's, that's hard. That's, that's a hard road to play where you have to seem menacing, but actually be not menacing at all. And that's, that's really that's really cool, but
1: I am I am not in any way excited about what? a crow remake. No, but
0: if I am it's him.
1: interested to see yeah. Bill Skarsgård as Eric Draven. I'll watch that. That's very yes. exciting.
0: Don't you mean Ash Corvin? Don't <laughs> you want don't you want Ash yeah. Corvin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I again. The crow, if they do continue a pace with this, this remake, um, yeah, they're going to have to do something. Obviously
1: with it, we can't stop you know? it. So
0: <laughs> no, somebody wants it to happen. And honestly, you know, if James O'Barr needs a payday so that he can just rest comfortably in his little Michigan home or wherever he lives now, I'm cool with that. Just give yeah. the guy a check and try and remake his movies. Let him, let him John Carpenter himself into, you know, retirement. I'm good with that. Did you uh, see on so,
1: Twitter where John Carpenter called himself Grandpa Horror?
0: Yeah, because he just had a grandkid. That was <laughs> adorable. He's, that yeah, was he's, so sweet. He's really cool. I really want to, one of the streaming, I don't need any more streaming services for fuck's sake, but one that I have really wanted to think about swapping out for is, is Shudder, because apparently they're doing so much cool shit over there with yeah. creation. I, I really need to, to at least try it out for a couple months. Um, I watch enough terrible horror movies that it would probably be worth my time.
1: Same (laughs) at this point. Yeah. But yeah, Um, I I saw that the other day and I was like, oh, that's precious.
0: So good. Uh, So so that's definitely up there um, for me for the year. Uh, Another, I I guess we can talk about it in terms of horror. It's not really a horror film, but um, this was a relatively light year for Stephen King adaptations. Um, Not that they didn't come out. We had that that stand. (laughs) We had the stand miniseries and um, you know, a couple other minor things here and there, but it wasn't like a big Stephen King year, which, you know, obviously with the proliferation of it, that caused an explosion of, you know, Stephen King properties to get made and stuff. But one that kind of snuck in on Netflix that I wanted to call attention to because I really enjoyed it was Mr. Harrigan's phone, um, which this released, people talked about it for like three days and then no one talked about it again. But this is an adaptation of a short story. Well, really the longest short story or one of the longest short stories from his recent short story collection. Uh, it bleeds. And it, it the premise is, is pretty cool. It's about a young boy who basically becomes a reader for an aging, uh, millionaire, wealthy man in his town. Uh, His eyesight is starting to fail, but he loves to read. And so he has this young boy. He hears him reading at church, like doing the scripture reading, and is impressed by his his diction and then has him come and read books to him in the afternoons. And they develop a kind of relationship, as in Stephen King stories, the elderly generally do with children. And then the old man passes away. This is not a spoiler because it's a very early plot point. But one of the things that the kid introduces to the old man right at the end of his life is an iPhone, a smartphone, which, you know, he's very old school. He still has like a stock ticker in his office and all this stuff. And it kind of changes the old man's life and he's very appreciative. Then some other things happen. And let's just say that the phone winds up in the man's pocket. He drops it in there at his funeral. But then the boy receives some messages from it significant moments in his life
1: it's a great um, setup
0: it's a great setup. It's a, setup it's a good setup it's a good setup for the short story which a lot of people say is too long could have you know been a much shorter experience but i don't think that's what king was going for but this is a great adaptation of that story uh it's got Jaden martell in it i think is the young man he was in in it um uh donald sutherland plays mr harrigan and just Always nails it him. just kills it uh it's a small movie, small cast, small you know scenes it's it's obviously made on a budget, but wonderful, like if you are a fan of Stephen King adaptations more towards the vein of like stand by me, where there's just a little bit of supernatural weirdness, but it's mostly just about the relationships um great, wonderful little ninety five hundred minute adaptation love it's it.
1: still on my list to watch, and yeah. I love Stephen King anything so
0: absolutely Um, so yeah I'll throw Mr. Harrigan's phone in there Uh, so let's talk about really probably the best horror film if it can be called that of the year uh, which is of course nope
1: nope so good Um,
0: this is one we have both seen you had you had been hounding me a bit rightly so you needed you need to watch nope so I I had it uh, set aside some time last weekend and uh, or Weekend before that, and and we we watched it, uh, my wife and I, because my wife, who is not a huge horror fan, like she just is, it's not her genre, but exceptional entries in the genre she is always down for, and so you know she loved Get Out. We have not watched Us, which I know is a blind it's spot. So I just I heard such mixed things about it. Oh, it's good. And then Tim Heidecker's in it, so I'm like, wait, what is that? Um, but I I I'd heard really good things about nope but she loved get out so i was like let's watch nope let's see what it is and she was very the from the start she was like wait what is this and i'm like i really don't know like i kind of have some suspicions but we both adored it it was wonderful the performances are killer daniel kaluuya kiki palmer amazing michael
2: wincott
0: jesus like did you know he was in it i did not yeah. I did not. I didn't I, say I, anything because I was kind of
1: like hoping that you didn't. When he
0: popped up on screen, I was like, "Oh yeah, I think I did see a glimpse of him in one of the trailers, but it had so totally good. slipped my mind." And then there's Michael Wincott sitting behind the camera. I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, this is the greatest movie of all time." Um, you know, just uh, Keith David. I mean, Jesus, jeez, uh, uh, killer, killer, killer.
1: I I told you this, but maybe now that you've seen it, you'll I can get your read, but. Daniel Kaluuya was doing like the best son of Keith David impression. Mm-hmm. Like, cause yeah. I've seen him in other
0: roles and it's not like that. And no, it's he's not doing like something that. very specific. Yeah.
1: It was amazing.
0: I mean, let's um, not forget Daniel Kaluuya is British. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's not American. He's, he is a British actor. Um,
1: like, I just, I love when people are cast as like, Father, son, mother, daughter, brother, sister, and, and, you know, those actors, they're not related in real life, but somehow they find a way to like echo or pattern. I, I've always amazed when actors can do that.
0: Yeah. And, and he definitely does. I mean, he, uh, you know, the basic premise, if you are unaware, I, I doubt you are at this point, you know, dear listener is that this is a ranch owned by a group of people who train horses for Hollywood screen, uh for screen use and and to be uh you know animal actors um who have ties to the very early film industry again peel sort of rel- you know pulls from his knowledge of the the development of film you know one of the earliest filmed sequences was a a a black jockey riding on the back of a horse and and of course this is referenced in all kinds of films and and you know stuff but but he actually pulls that footage we open on that footage the entire film starts on it and then this family has uh, reason to believe that that it was an, a relative of theirs, a great-great-grandfather, who actually rode that horse. So this wonderful little side story, but ultimately it becomes about them fighting for their lives against a mysterious force, creature, object uh, in the skies over their ranch and the surrounding area. And just, I mean, a fantastic Uh, Definitely worth noting cinematography by Hoyt von Hoytema uh, who is, is probably most famous for his collaborations with Christopher Nolan post the dark Knight series. Um, He did interstellar. I'm pretty sure I'm, I think he might've done Dunkirk too. Um, A top notch cinematographer, like literally one of the best working in Hollywood right now, the day for night shooting that they do for this movie is one of the most accurate to actual human experience day for night that I've ever seen. Because the the goal seemed to be not like what does nighttime look like on film, but what does nighttime look like after you've been outside in the moonlight and your eyes have adjusted. Yeah, And it captured that so perfectly that I was shocked by it. Apparently it was an incredibly complex rig where they were pulling both IMAX film and infrared data at the same time and almost like a 3d rig setup so that they could then use the light data from the infrared camera to inform the color, to inform the values of light and dark on the film one and then adjusted it in post later. But it's flawless, like flawless. So good. Um, Like it's a technique that I hope they use for day for night shooting for pretty much here on out. They probably won't, but it looks it looks great. Um, great performances. Very cool story. Most of the, the complaints I've seen about it are that it's overindulgent. Peel out, you know, Peel's getting too big for them britches, right? He's the fuck pushing does that even too, mean? I don't know. And it's such a stupid argument. I mean, I understand if there's a brigade of people that don't want to see him become the next M night Shyamalan. Like I get it because that's the kind, because he had so much praise heaped on him at the front. This is the next Hitchcock, blah, blah, blah. Nobody said that about Peel that I know of, but you know, like, but the fact that there just exists a group of people that want to put down an incredible film because they feel like the director's getting too big for his britches and too indulgent is like, shut the fuck up, right? And like,
1: and we're not seeing him at like the beginning of his whole entire career.
0: No, like he's been directing for 20 goddamn years. He just was directing comedy.
1: That's that's so stupid. (laughs) People are dumb. I mean,
0: as we were as we were watching, I mean, I know we just spent a chunk of time talking about Spielberg. I got such late 70s, early 80s Spielberg vibes from this. Like student Peel is a student of popular cinema post 1975. Like, and, and this movie feels like a modern riff on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like, Definitely. With very different end goals. Like, he's trying to be scary. Like, that's part of what's going on here. Which Spielberg, apart from, you know, a little, Jaws is not a scary film by modern standards. You know, it's it still, hold, I mean, it's a beautiful film and it holds up entirely, but it's, It's not like a movie that people watch now and they're like, you know, jumping out of their seats when the shark comes out of the water. You put that up against
1: your average, you know, scare every 10 seconds movie that comes out with like fucking horrible ghouls and like people bleeding out their (laughs) eyes. Like, it's just not it's not going to carry the same weight, but it's it's still a better movie than all of those.
0: Exactly. And Nope is going more for that than it is going for any of that other stuff, which I think is smart and it totally tracks with Peele's progression as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, more complex ideas, more complex themes, more complex execution. Absolutely banger film. Nope is an unequivocal recommendation. Great yeah. movie. And that's not even getting into the murder chimp and Stephen Young, <laughs> 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 which is just a whole nother thing that is also great. Um, cause who doesn't love a good murder chimp? Um, and that's a story that I feel like in 30 years that'll become some kind of apocryphal thing. Did you hear about that sitcom where the monkey killed people? And it'll just be the scenes from this this movie and people will think it's real. Uh, but yes, nope, fantastic. Um, okay, so on top of that, let's pile in um, something that shows up in the horror category. I don't know if it counts, but a film that we both also watched and enjoyed, and that is, of course, The Menu.
1: Yay.
0: Um, You have heard people talking about the menu, dear listener, and you should listen to them because the menu is one of the absolute best movies of last year. It is a killer script. It is executed incredibly well.
1: Uh, I know it's supposed to be a horror movie. I know it's supposed to be, but I have not laughed like that.
0: It's a horror comedy. (laughs) Like it's hilarious. That movie is so deliciously black in its humor that uh, I I forget one of the, there was one of the lines Ray Fine said, oh no, I remember. And I've seen this clip going around, so people may have seen it. So things develop in the story and, and, you know, stuff is happening and characters are trying to like try and explain themselves, like justify like why they shouldn't be part of this thing. And one of the characters is like, but I didn't do anything. And he's like, where'd you go to school? And she's like, Brown. He's Like, do you have student loans? And she's like, no. And he's like, that's it. <laughs> it's just like, that was perfect, right? It's perfect. Like, you think you're not part of this group, you're fucking part of this yep. group. Um, so it's it's just great. It's it's wonderful. Um, it's it, it, is, it centers upon... Um, initially you think it's about a couple who's coming to this high class restaurant for a, apparently a night of, of culinary experience beyond compare. And, and then it very much becomes about uh, Ray Fine's character, Julian Slowak and sort of his, his life's work and how he feels about his legacy. And, and it just is this very unique thing uh, Hong Chow, who is getting a lot of press right now for the whale, which I have currently not seen, it is not playing anywhere close to me. Um, but I've heard that the movie itself, that the whale itself, is not actually very good. But Brendan Fraser and the other actors in it are exceptional. Which, given Darren Darren Aronofsky's you know sort of I current spade of films, I hundred percent believe that because I have not actually enjoyed a Darren Aronofsky film. Probably since Pi. <laughs> it's um, probably the last one I actually liked watching. Because like his, I mean, shit. His
1: yeah, movies yeah. are corny.
0: And, and and yeah. Absolutely.
1: Well, and like it's so hard to explain what I mean, but like Requiem for a Dream, people talk about like how deeply affected they were by that movie. And mm-hmm. I don't think they've watched it a second time. Which of course nope. they wouldn't.
0: No, nope. I have so, no desire to watch that movie a second that time. That
1: movie is so cringe. And so Mm -hmm. over the top and is like made by, by a Christian camp youth counselor who's never even seen drugs before Jewish, let alone understand (laughs) how they're, how they're used. Um, no,
0: I mean the scenes of them with that steady cam rig on their chest, like running down the streets. I look back at those scenes now and I'm like, that is terrible. This
1: is horrible. This looks, this looks bad and it's bad.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't hate Aronofsky, and I like no. that he keeps ha- making these big swings. I like, oh. I, one of the movie I, I plan to do on this podcast at some point is The Fountain, because I think it's this delicious mess. Like, it's just a, but movies, a, yeah, a night. a mess but, is
1: a great way to think of it. They're just, yeah. they're always a mess. There's usually something to take away from it, and it's it is mm-hmm. often a performance. Yeah, always,
0: usually, yeah. I mean, because Hugh um, Jackman's performance in The Fountain, and I guess Rachel Weisz a little bit, too. Um, cause she was in that. She was a love interest in that, wasn't she?
1: unlike Black Swan, people like yeah.
0: that. Oh, that's true. Black Swan's probably the one that people have latched onto the most. But again, that movie's weird as hell too.
1: And, and it's so, got it's got a lot of problems. But yeah, I mean, that's just that's why I haven't been hyped on watching the whale because
0: I, I also know, yeah, I'm gonna, know, hate, it. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna hate, hate it. I'm, I'm gonna and hate I'm the also experience also, of it.
1: And I'm gonna take umbrage with the characterization of fat people. I know that I am because that they just keep bothers talking me. Talking about
0: how they got it right, but I don't think I, I just don't think that's possible. I've I've don't. read
1: I've read things that that go either way, where they're like, "Oh, it's so sensitive," and and this really gets it. But then, like, I'll read criticism from like an actual fat person say, "This is this sucks," mm-hmm. um, and it's really unfair. But the thing that both Sides of the criticism always say is that Brendan Fraser is great.
0: Is great, yes. His and performance so is undoubtedly great. Yeah.
1: I will suffer for him, exactly. because he gave me the mummy.
0: <laughs> we'll always have the mummy. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think you know to come to come back to the menu. Um, Hong Chau is, is is killing it in the whale. She's killing it here too. It's a, a relatively small part but she brings so much to it in these, these brief bursts that we get from her, this sort of like casual, the casual disdain of the, the restaurant host just dismissing all concerns, (laughs) right? Just it's, it's an incredibly good thing. Um, So the menu, I I don't want to talk about it much because I think it's a film that it's actually better. If you don't know a ton uh, going into it, like I think the information that we've talked about is, is, probably more than enough to to take you where you want to take it. I would, the only thing I'll, I'll say was uh, it was nice seeing Judith guest uh, from who's the boss in this film. Uh, always nice to see her. Uh, some great small performances from some actors you'll recognize and some Titanic performances from uh, Ray Fiennes and, and Anya Taylor joy, who as much as I like her work, I think she is an incredibly capable actress. She seems like one, who needs to be in the right hands to yeah. be to be u- for to use her skills effectively cuz like if you've seen the new mutants which we've talked about mm-hmm. she ain't great in that uh mm-hmm. she's just okay um you know but then you see something like the witch or you see something like um you know the the queen's gambit on on Netflix absolutely stellar so i think it's just it's it's something you need the right person has to understand what she brings to the table and i think that they do here. Uh, the character that she plays very good, very convincing um, and, and really interesting. So the menu is great streaming on HBO max. Now, if you have HBO max, Fantastic. you have zero reason to not watch it. It is so good. Brilliant. So good. Um, so a couple of other quick hits here, some favorites for me that I don't think you watched, but I want to hit on that are still sort of attached loosely to horror. Uh, one is Prey. The, uh, Predator, the new Predator sequel from Dan Trachtenberg on Hulu released back in like August. I was very excited for this. I like the Predator movies a lot and the Predator films have been underser- underserved to say the least since I guess Predator 2. Um, we won't talk about Aliens versus Predator. I have weird relationships with that. We did a whole podcast on the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an un equivocally great predator movie it's it understands how predator movies work it updates some of the action qualities of the predator I I will address one criticism because this is about a, a a a native American first people's group running up against the predator in the Great Plains in the 1700s right and, and people have criticized the action in this for being too stylish. It should be more restrained. And if you look at the history of violence in Predator, the heroes in Predator movies are always on the back foot in comparison to the Predator, right? Like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger gets his ass kicked in the first Predator. Like, he barely comes out of it alive, which is good. Same thing, I mean, same thing for, for Danny Glover. He barely comes out of it alive. He gets lucky. Um, in this one, uh, they they've they've claimed that the the Native American characters are too good against the predator, even though all of the ones that go up against him, save for one, you know, they don't. It's not an easy time. Uh, but I just wanted to address that and say that one, that's stupid. Uh, two it's established in the film well before any interactions between the Native Americans and the Predators occur that these are literally the best warriors that they have, right? Like they are titans, just like it's established in the first one. And then nothing about their interactions with the Predator are easy. So I think that that complaint is dumb. And if you want to focus on that kind of shit, I guess you can. Um, But I think Prey is a great movie. Amber Mid-Thunder is a great new main character to bring in to the Predator universe. I think the way the Predator shit is handled is great. I super enjoyed it. It's very engaging, very good. And if this is where they're going to play with Predator for a while to kind of build the franchise back to where it, it, it was at one time, then yes, please give me more. I'll take it. Uh, just, it's just great. It's, it's really good. Uh, streaming on Hulu, absolutely worth a watch. Even if you're a passing Predator fan, um but this stands we can just ignore all the bad ones and this we have predator we have predator two and then we have this and that's all we need to worry about and i think that's fine uh one other one i'll throw in here and i don't know if you saw this one or not but uh alex garland's men um i
1: saw it yep
0: um i i thought you had i, I thought we yeah. talked about it um
1: i love alex garland
0: I love Alex Garland. Yeah, we'll start with that because this, I think, might be one of the weakest things that he's done in a while. For sure. Yeah, um, but it's there, weird. Are, it's a strange <laughs> film. Like, I if you, I don't know if you watched Devs on. Um, That's been on Blue. my list
1: for a long time.
0: This felt more like Devs than other Alex Garland stuff because Devs is also very, very weird. Um, but I think there are moments in men that are going to stick with me for the rest of my life. Like I will think of them apropos of nothing, the visuals, the sounds, the moments. Uh, it's worth saying that Jesse Buckley is fantastic in this. Like she is asked to do a lot of work alone with no one else on screen. That is, is, is challenging and emotionally raw but some of my favorite scenes of this movie are just Jesse Buckley like walking through idyllic English countryside and I, and, and being terrified I had to <laughs> while stop. it's happening.
1: I had to yeah. stop and like take screenshots of this movie.
0: It is I just
1: yeah. wanted to remember how nice these things looked. Short and it would always be shortly before something fucking weird happened. Of course. Um, yeah. but yeah, I I I enjoyed it. There were parts where it gets a bit, a bit up itself. Um, that was
0: the ter- exact terminology I was planning to use. Like it's kind of up its own ass,
1: uh, yeah. for A
0: good chunk of the back half,
1: and yeah. and frankly, that's that is an Alex Garland mm-hmm. expectation that I have.
0: He just kind of gets lost in his own his own themes.
1: Yeah, you know, you huff um, your farts too long writing a script. Stuff like that's going to happen. Um, however, it is so lovely to watch. It's just beautiful. And Rory Kinnear is so great as everyone.
0: (laughs) Right. It's worth noting that there are only two actors in this film. Well, I guess three, technically four, if you include the friend who's mostly on the phone. Um, But it's it's Jesse Buckley at this idyllic country manor trying to escape some recent trauma that she's experienced. And then Rory Kinnear as literally every other character in various states of makeup, even child characters, which is. The CG on that was very bad and very creepy, um, but but Rory Kinnear, who is glorious, uh, you probably if you don't know the name, he was like M's assistant on all in all of the recent Daniel Craig James Bond movies. Um, he was the prime minister who had sex with a pig in that first episode of black mirror. Uh, um, who could forget? <laughs> who could forget the PM that fucked the pig. Um, uh. but, uh, he's fantastic and he goes all in here. Like he is doing a lot of yeah. really cool stuff. So, um, well worth the time. I'm, I'm, I am i do not know if it would make my list of favorites, but there are certainly some memorable aspects of it. And Alex Garland's just one of those filmmakers. You kind of got to check out what he does. Yeah. You're always going to be in for something like he's I'll, never going to watch. Not- any of it, any of it. I,
1: yeah. I've been down for all of the movies, um, and I've walked away liking something about every one of them. Of course, like one of his movies is kind of my personal obsession, which we talked about on this podcast. The sunshine,
0: yes, the sunshine, yeah.
1: And uh, my my partner's like favorite thing that he's done is Annihilation. He just said, "I I loved that movie. I watched it. It's I was glorious blown away." As well. Yep. Um. So yeah, I just big big fans all around even if even if it goes weird it's still worth watching
0: absolutely and and the weird things that go weird in men you know I would say I I would say that it's um they're not deal breaker weird for me let me put it that way like there's a scene at the end that gets gets close but um the weirdness is is really all about sort of keeping you on your back foot. Like they he's desperately trying to make you feel as uncomfortable as the character is feeling. And and it's successful pretty much all the way through, which is a similar effect that he was trying to build in Annihilation, I think. So so men very good. Uh okay, so let's get to a couple that we need to hit um before this gets too crazy. Um and, and one of those has to be everything everywhere all at once, um, which is you have undoubtedly heard about it. The hype train for this got super huge, especially when it hit home video. Um, but I, I will say, unequivocal recommendation. I'm not. I don't even really want to talk about it much because it's again best if you haven't seen it yet to just go watch it. Just watch it. It's it's great. Uh, the Daniels have. Carved themselves a niche that the started with down Swiss Army what, Man. Guys. The Turn Down for What guys. The dude who is vibrating in Turn Down for What directed this movie <laughs> with his friend. Um, so like, just just never forget and never let it be forgetn- uh, forgotten. Forgotten. Uh, they started this with Swiss Army Man. They started carving this niche of just incredibly small pop culture reverent, but yet emotionally powerful stories you know, a while ago, but now it has culminated in this incredibly personal, beautiful, high quality film about an Asian American family trying to make their way through a world that is not at all aware of their needs or who they are or, or how they can, can. it's, you know, th- there is a lot in this movie about racism and about minority <laughs> mistreatment and and how those things are handled. It's it's pretty good about how it addresses all of that, both within the family and without. Uh Kihi Kwan and Michelle Yo are so great. Like all of the accolades wife. all of the accolades they've gotten are deserved. Everybody in this movie's killing it. So uh great. I hope Kihi Kwan gets to make all kinds of new shit because I love him. I just, we just talked about temple of doom. He'll always be short rounded data, but yet I think he has the potential to become something amazing in the next couple of years because he's so good in this. They're both great in this. I know Jamie Lee Curtis has created it. Everybody's James, great Hong. James Hong, who, who is in his nineties in his nineties and still just absolutely murdering scenes. Um, so, so great. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to get into it much, but everything, everywhere, all at once is as good as you've heard, probably yeah. better. Um, ignore the people. There, are, there is a brigade of people who are out here now trying to like MCU this and like defend it in every forum. Don't be one of those people. It's just a great movie, and it it should be watched. So everything, everywhere, all at once, so so good. Um, we probably need to talk briefly about GDT's Pinocchio uh, in a film uh, in a year in which we received no less than three adaptations of pinocchio uh there was actually only one adaptation of pinocchio and that was gdt's adaptation of pinocchio neither, don't watch that disney live action garbage no, i don't no. care if tom hanks is in it we watched like, 30 minutes and turned it neither off of it us,
1: neither of us neither of us is very moved by the pinocchio like,
0: no, the original I, disney film i hate the original disney pinocchio i don't I don't
1: hate it. it i'm a little bit softer on it um because I I did watch it a lot cuz it's it's our dad's favorite Disney movie leave. of all time. Um but and if I had, had is, seen that
0: in a theater when I was his age, oh it yeah, probably would be
1: mine too. would be amazing. For sure. Um but I I'm not a huge fan of it. Like it's not a movie that I I reach for and like I'm I'm a I'm a rewatcher like I watch most of like the 2D disney animated films over Mm -hmm. and over and over again like that's just you know i'm bored and watch a movie i'll put on this movie uh but pinocchio is not one that i that i went back to Mm -hmm. um so i wasn't exactly even excited to see this because i don't know i i just assumed it was something about the pinocchio story um but my partner is is an artist and an animator and really into animation so he was like, well, it's it's Guillermo del Toro, so I know you'll want to watch And I was like, that's true. I do love Guillermo del Toro. He is my little yep. cherub. Um, And then I found myself crying very early on in the movie.
0: <laughs> I knew that I was in for trouble when that little kid started singing Ciao uh, Papa. And I was like, oh God, I didn't know there was going to be music in this. And I certainly no. didn't know there was going to be music like this in it. Um, <sighs> This... You know, Del Toro's done a ton of press on this. You can go out and watch lots and lots of interviews of him talking about where this came from. This is a passion project. He's wanted to make it since he was a kid. He's had ideas about a Pokemon, or a Pokemon shit, fuck, <laughs> um, a Pinocchio adaptation since he was was a, a small child and saw the original Disney Pinocchio. Um, so this is a take that's been brewing in his head for decades, and you can feel that. There is a quality and depth of the world being built here and a, and the equality and depth to the take on Pinocchio as a character and as a, as an idea that surpasses any other takes on Pinocchio that you've ever seen. Um, it's, it is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece of stop motion animation, which, you know, again, this is, he chose a medium that is not typical. This probably would have been easier to pitch as a CG project. I am so thrilled that he did not. It um, it's a beautiful film. There's craft, care, and love in every single frame of it, and it's glorious as a result. And
1: everybody's in it.
0: If they have ever worked with Guillermo del Toro, they are probably in this movie.
1: Oh, man. Uh, They're all here.
0: Uh, it's the <laughs> like, whole... Like,
1: every voice. I, I just kept going, that's so-and-so, that's so... Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, fantastic.
0: Uh, it's really good. And let's... Less, Lest we forget that Kate Blanchett gives the most powerful <laughs> turn in the film as the monkey,
1: <laughs>
0: which apparently so they were working on Nightmare Alley. And she said, You gotta put me in your Pinocchio movie, GDT. And he's like, There's no parts left. He's like, The only part we have left is the monkey. And they were probably gonna get like Frank Welker or some shit to do it, what, or D. Bradley Baker, one of those standard, you know, voice actor animal people. And she's like, I'll take the monkey. So <laughs> she plays Spazzatura, uh, the monkey, who is starts off as a villain and then transforms into something much more beautiful by the end. Uh, did you... I, I know you know neither of us speak Italian. I took the time to look up the name Spazzatura. Um, do you know what Spazzatura means?
1: What does it mean? Garbage. Oh, garbage monkey.
0: Garbage monkey. And... Uh, it's glorious. Uh, yeah, we won't talk about it much here. It's available on Netflix. You should just go watch it. Uh, it's it's so good. It is now for me the definitive Pinocchio. That is, this will be the Pinocchio that when I think of Pinocchio moving forward, you know, apart from the Disney connotations, obviously, which this is in conversation with, right? Like is it is definitely a film that understands that film. Um, this will be the, the Pinocchio that I reach for if I ever want to interact with this story again. So same. Glorious, beautiful, meditative, uh, thematic, everything that you want out of a Guillermo del Toro film in this beautiful, family-friendly animated form. Absolutely glorious. Um, yes. Uh, so uh, the other Netflix one that we must discuss, I assume, is The Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Uh, I assume you been need to see? watch this. Okay. So I, I, I will not. I will not go deep into this. Um, It has received many, many accolades. They are well-deserved. One issue that I will note briefly is that Ryan Johnson, as a filmmaker, since the start, is a filmmaker that, you know, I just mentioned, you know, Guillermo del Toro, his film being in conversation with that previous, you know, Disney animated classic. Ryan Johnson seems that his main goal in making films is to be in conversation and perhaps even to interrogate the genre of the film that he is making uh, he just it seems to be his natural compulsion it was the main thing that people hated about last Jedi, which I think is stupid mm-hmm. because somebody needed to have a conversation about what a good Star Wars movie is and if you may not like Ryan Johnson's conclusions that's fine but he had a conversation with this is what Star Wars is. Is this what it has to be? Uh, Looper was a conversation with time travel movies. That's why we get Bruce Willis in the middle of it. Just screaming about forget about the time travel shit. Don't worry about it. Brick it just works. And, just and, move uh, on. Brick is, and noir detectives. His noir detective stories dismantling them in favor of these high school, you know, cliques. And and Knives Out was a conversation about and an interrogation of the Agatha Christie murder mystery right the death on the nile the the uh you know murder on the orient express you know, it's it's interrogating what makes those movies what they are dismantling them and then reassembling one that takes your expectations intentionally subverts them and provides you with a new experience even though you're you are in essence consuming one of those And so Knives Out, uh, A Glass Onion, or Glass uh, Onion, A Knives Out, mystery, excuse me, um, it does the same thing again in the way that Knives Out did, but just different enough and with a fantastic new cast of characters that I found myself enjoying it as much as the original. Uh, Maybe a little bit less because the first one was also... Addressing the world as it existed in 2016 and 17, which was about generational wealth and old money and how new money comes along. It kind of fucks everything up and just a lot of a lot of social commentary and knives out that hits very well and is handled well. This one has similar things, but has stumbled its way into an accurate social portrayal, even though all of this was done like two years ago. And, of course, you know, it's Elon Musk's fault, as most things are. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start blaming him for everything. I'm, I'm good with that. It's fine. I mean, he has a company called The Boring Company, so let's let's just run with it. Mm. Uh, but I am interested in people who are willing to look at a billionaire and be like, yeah, you ain't, you ain't all that. And this movie is very much about that. Um, but, honestly, I'm here for these. If Daniel Craig is willing to continue making Benoit Blank murder mysteries to the to the end of his life... I'll watch every single fucking one of them because he is a delight. People forget because of the bond, that Daniel Craig's actually a really good fucking actor Yeah, and he's really funny. Like the dude is hilarious. And yeah, that's
1: one thing is that James Bond did rob him of that yeah. ability to be funny.
0: It boxed him in so hard, you know, it let Rory Kinnear be funny in those movies, but you certainly couldn't see James Bond be funny. Um, and uh, he's great. They do some wonderful things. Okay. I'm, I will spoil one thing for you here. Okay. Listener, if you don't want to spoil if you haven't watched it yet, jump ahead like a minute, maybe two. Um, this this is a film that happens during the pandemic, like it's set during the pandemic. And so everybody's locked up in isolation at home, including Benoit Blanc. And apparently he is not handling it well because he needs the thrill of a mystery to, to motivate him, right? He's got to have that. So he's in a bathtub surrounded by books and he is playing Among Us <laughs> online with a bunch <laughs> of his friends because they've told him that this is like it's an investigation you have to figure out who did the crime yeah. blah blah blah. But then it is, so the game ends and he's frustrated by the ending and then it cuts to who he's playing with and I shit you fucking not one of them is Angela Lansbury.
1: That's great.
0: And she's just oh, yeah. Angie on screen, and she's like, "But you're supposed to do this in the game, Benoit." And he's <laughs> like, "I don't know, Angie. I don't like it." You know, it's like, <laughs> it, and there are some other like little cameos like that throughout the film that just hit so well, and they're so lovely. Um, it's it's just it's nice. It's it's a fun romp. If you go into it expecting it to be this, if you have to have it be epic, you're probably going to be disappointed. But it is a great. Sunday afternoon, nothing on TV. I want to check out something that I'm going to I'm going to have a good time with. Knives out, Glass Onion is uh, Knives Out 2 is great. It's wonderful. Ryan Johnson, I'm sorry to tell you Star Wars Fanboys. He's a great filmmaker. Fuck off. He just is. He's good. Just just (laughs) calm
1: down. Star Wars is not the most important thing.
0: The sequel trilogy sucks. Let it go. Just forget about it. It's fine. And I
1: realize I'm saying that to a person who just went to the Star Wars hotel. (laughs) I did.
0: I was at the Star Wars hotel.
1: (laughs) Even you know that (laughs) Star Wars is not the only franchise. No,
0: no. I love it. And I'll always love it. It got its hooks into me at the right time. It's never going to go away from me. And that's okay. But yeah, it's it's just it, it's it's movies. It's just, it's they're okay. just they're movies. They're movies, and it's fine if they're bad. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull didn't steal your childhood. It's just an okay Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, just deal with it.
1: You'll be you'll be fine. We'll all Shield be fine. above
0: swings with monkeys. It's okay. <laughs> just let it go. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, uh, all right. So uh, one more recommendation from you, then we'll do some quick hits and, and wrap this up. I don't want to belabor our favorites, but so any others from you?
1: Of favorites? Uh, I don't know about favorites. I, I wrote down stuff like you know the Batman. I saw the I saw the Batman movie.
0: Oh well, last that's in, year that's kind of in my honorable mentions. So let's let's kind of run through our honorable mentions, movies that aren't necessarily favorites, but we saw and we liked.
1: Yeah, I I would definitely put the Batman in that. um Same. Yeah.
0: It
1: was the first movie. I think it'll. Maybe be a movie that's special to me because it was the first movie I saw after I moved here to Sweden. Mm, sure. Um, So it was my first like going to the movie theater experience. Just like um, Johnny
0: Mnemonic was my first R rated movie by myself in a theater. So I'll always kind of love that movie, even though it's um,
1: my hot first trash. going to the <laughs> movie theater alone was Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: and it's a good one too. It's, I mean, not, a, it's a great movie. Like I had a banger for a first film on my own. That's a good on one to my own. Start with, Yeah. But uh but yeah, the Batman was was the first thing I saw after I moved here and it was good. I I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed mm-hmm. it a lot more than I enjoyed the last Christopher Nolan one, The Dark Knight Rises. Dark
0: Knight Rises, sure.
1: Um I still don't have much hope. What do you for... mean?
0: You didn't score. <laughs> oh, uh... I still don't have it's much a hope
1: for, for, a, <laughs> for a continuation. I don't know. Something about making another one is usually where it falls down. Because yeah. even though The Dark Knight was really great, I don't really feel compelled to revisit that movie. Sure. Um. Maybe it's because of what happened with it culturally, with, with Heath Ledger and his performance. Yeah, that movie Maybe. became
0: legend because of what happened around it. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, and that—I mean—that happens whenever there is a tragedy like that. That happens. Arguably, that's mm-hmm. why the crow became a, yeah, exactly. a, an international yeah. phenomenon. Um, but I am concerned that the Batman is going to be just another one of those. Yeah, uh,
0: sure.
1: I love the Riddler, though.
0: Well, I we've didn't necessarily.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, and he's just great. He's he's really really great, and I did love that performance. I didn't love all parts of it because I I I'm kind of of two minds about the Riddler. I really really like the best Batman movie was actually the video game Arkham Asylum.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I can <laughs> in I can my get behind thesis that. I sure. will <laughs>
1: like, because Kevin just, Conroy
0: is the best Batman. He, oh, he was be the best Batman forever. Um, uh, yeah. He just like more Mark Hamill is the best Joker. The, he's the best Joker. Like yeah. the Batman animated series cannot be overestimated in how influential it was into how we culturally perceive Batman today. Um, yeah. It is it is a titanic achievement of both animation and voice acting. Um, that's a banger cast. Everybody and they are nailing those characters every single week. Um, yeah. So in, in any case, yes, I, I think that is, I would agree. Arkham Asylum is perhaps the best overall portrayal of Batman and in and in universe Batman ever. Yeah.
1: Um, so it's really hard for me to, to come to the movies and, and people are always kind of doing that melancholy Batman thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah, I know let, that that's,
0: let's that's, not forget that the needle drop in this is, a, is one of yeah. the slowed down Nirvana remixes.
1: And I'm I'm not I'm not in love with that version of
0: Batman. Sure. It's a rougher um, take.
1: Yeah. I, I like the detective stuff. I like it when Batman is is very intelligent yes. and, That's what made and this methodical. Movie me. Um so I I always want more of that. But I I did feel like it it did its best. Um I <laughs> I really, really love John Taturo. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really Falcone, when I see him. I mean, I, I love Tom Wilkinson, but he was kind of a shit Carmine Falcone in Batman Begins, yeah. in my opinion. You know, just yeah. this guy's not menacing; he's not scary. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, no, Turturro's great. I mean, the cast of the Batman elevates the Batman. We've talked about Pattinson before, how he's he's turned himself into a fine little actor. And Colin Farrell, um, yeah, his his penguin is definitely the standout, though, for sure. Great, it's a really he, good he's performance. Great and it's, it's just really so much like makeup and You don't Kerr. care. I do too. He's experiencing this renaissance. Uh, next up to watch actually, along with a few others is, uh, the Banshees of Anna Sharon, uh, yeah. which I'm a big in Bruges fan. I, I, I'm a real big fan of that movie. Um, Martin McDonough is when Martin McDonough shows up to make a movie. You need to watch that movie, like three billboards in Ebbing, Missouri, outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, yeah, same like dudes just, he's one of the best examples of how a playwright can elevate a film by understanding how plays work and how character interactions are the center of what's happening. Um, yeah, just, and, and Colin Farrell is, is, is a huge part of that. And, and he's great. Like he's just a cool, cool dude. I mean, I'm sure he's had a share of problems. I don't, I don't know anything, but, um, yeah, he's, he's great in the Batman. And,
1: and I want to be clear that like, I didn't forget about the Ben Affleck movies.
0: Oh No, no, I didn't forget about there. them. Yeah.
1: I'm just choosing to pretend we'll just that they didn't happen past.
0: because Smooth they were bad. Um, he was an okay Batman in a bunch of very mediocre films where I wish that he would have been given the chance as was initially planned to let him kind of go do his own thing. Um, but that's the problem is that, is that Batman is a character that honestly works better in isolation than he does as a team. Always has. Yeah. Um, you know, like I understand he's a hard part of the justice league. You're going to have Batman in those movies, but you but, know
1: what? The justice league sucks.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, I've got just, a lot of, I've got a lot of justice league comics laying around. Most of them are trash. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not, just I'm not garbage. interested
1: in that. I don't, I don't care about super groups.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, again, I think that's why the Marvel formula worked for that first phase is because it established all the characters indie, and then built to having them together as a supergroup once you knew them all, but that's that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. And and even still, you know, not all the Avengers movies work. I mean, Age of Ultron's just kind of like, yeah. Um, you know, I don't but like
1: supergroups, whether it's Chickenfoot or the Avengers. I just don't. <laughs> I don't like that. And that's right. That's a Sammy Hagar band. Sammy I just Hagar threw that band. out there. Yep.
0: It's a good. It's a good um, one.
1: <laughs> I just don't I just don't care. And and I guess that that's the crux of it. And so I like the Batman. I like that it's circled back around to just it's Batman again. Mm-hmm. It's just him. Yeah. Just him doing his thing. Solo Superman doesn't show up Batman, and hassle him. I'm
0: good. Yeah.
1: I could do without Catwoman. I all the time.
0: Sure. Yeah. I, I feel mean, like I, I know they're inextricably tied at this point, but it's such a weird relationship. I know people really liked get.
1: Zoe Kravitz. I know people mm-hmm. really liked her. And yeah. and she, she was fine. She's not a bad actress or anything. It's just oh, that character is is played out.
0: And I'm tired of people trying to do weird costuming stuff to justify why she looks like a cat. Yeah. Just do it. I mean, like, just, her weird, like, beanie that's cut with weird ears. It's like, why? Just stop it. You know, I the Nolan... The Nolan thing of having her goggles flip back and sort of look like cat ears, fine, okay, whatever. But just lean into it, man. You've got a guy called Batman. Just have a person called Catwoman. It's okay. Well, it's just it kind of fine.
1: I mean, if they just let her dress up like a cat, she's a, she's a cat burglar. It works. Yeah, it's you it's don't a, have
0: to explain it's it. A like a play I'm, on words from the '40s, man. Like just deal with it. It's I'm already here
1: for people in costumes. <laughs> I, you don't have yeah. to sell it to me. I bought the ticket.
0: She bought the big-ass boots and laced them up, let her have bought a little cowl that has cat ears on it as a joke.
1: I just don't, Who I don't cares? know. But overall, I just don't, I don't care about Catwoman or anything that she does or says or adds to Batman anymore.
0: I, um, if, I thought their their mild histrionics to make her more relevant to the story being told, and the Batman was a bit unnecessary. Yeah, that
1: didn't do anything it's
0: like, for me she doesn't have to be anybody's kid man like come on like, yeah she can it. just be a burglar she can just be a cat burglar trying to make money and it's fine. whenever whenever just it was her missing
1: friend i kind of wished that the movie had just left it there
0: yeah like, that that's it was it. all about that's her trying just to find connection a friend. my friend disappeared i'm trying to find him because yeah, that
1: i mean totally. i guess for me like that's enough of a motivation like if you care about somebody absolutely that you would you would do all kinds of crazy stuff, risk your life trying to find him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's that's good. I'm good there.
0: Totally, I'm, um, I'm down with that as a total motivation for a character. Doesn't need to be anything more.
1: So so that was that was weak for me. I I love Andy Circus.
0: Yeah, he was good. I, underutilized uh, as Alfred, but a good Alfred. Uh, yeah, an Alfred that you could believe was actually like a spec ops guy in Europe yeah. at some point you know like that because that's where they've gone with Alfred's backstory is that he you know has this like secret military <laughs> history and butler. stuff he's not a butler nobody's nobody's like just badass. anybody and that's that's fine I, I think he was good at that so I, I hope they get to revisit that character given the current flux of everything at DC it kind of sounds like that may just die or it'll or it will continue to be its own standalone thing. But I can't imagine a studio being like we're cool with having two different Batmans running around. But they may just lay off Batman for a while too. Like I really that would feel like nice. I really feel like they're going to start with Superman with this new DCU and uh-huh. and just sort of kick everything off with him, which yeah. eh, makes sense. But Ooh. they're going to have to thread that needle because man, we've had a lot of Superman stories and most of them haven't been good. So. Do what you will, I suppose. If anybody can pull it off, I think James Gunn can, especially with unlimited funds, but we'll see. Uh, Okay, some other honorable mentions. The Batman, definitely a solid flick. Fun little Batman detective story for sure. Some other honorable mentions from me. um, I do want to call out just very quickly Confess Fletch, Uh, the new Fletch film starring one Jonathan Hamm. Um, Surprisingly good absolutely absolutely hilarious very dry very funny um there's a joke in it of him popping out of a car and just saying five stars as he's sprinting across the street <laughs> of like he takes ubers everywhere and he's and he just like, pop out of the car five stars and he just runs away that is very funny i, I don't know it worked really well for me i don't think enough i love john ham john ham is great as fletch like, st louis a royalty fletch. that's right he he is st louis old school st louis acting royalty at this point um find it watch it it's it's light it's fun it's a great mystery john hamm is fantastic as fletch it's more it's more in line with the fletch character in the books than chevy's version ever was and as much as i like That's, the original yeah. fletch <laughs> it's this is just its own other thing it's shot very well greg Mottola does a really good job uh robert picardo is in it So you you can't go wrong. Uh, Eugene, Eugene Merman has a small part. It's and I haven't seen Eugene Merman actually on screen in a movie in like 15 years. I hear him every week on Bob's Burgers, but I never see him. Uh, So he has a lovely little part as a security guard at some like high end yachting club. And he's just constantly talking about all the cool things that he sees other people do. (laughs) It's very good. Um, It's 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 the it's the like 70s fun, talky detective comedy that we just don't see anymore. And uh glorious. Just loved it. Just loved it. Um another one I'll throw out is Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Um it is just an expansion on that funnier die skit that they did like 15 years ago. It's directed by the same guy. It's written by the same guy. But I will say that it's a lot of fun, totally loses it and goes probably too far in the back half. But the scene where he is making a sandwich for his roommates and my Sharona comes on the radio and he's laying out the the stuff to make a sandwich. And one of his friends says, oh, yeah, I'll go ahead and use my bologna. And then like you, Daniel Radcliffe just gets this look on his face as he's looking at this package of bologna. And he's like, my, 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 my bologna. <laughs> and it's sold so sincerely. It's it's glorious. It's just glorious but the best joke may be um he sneaks out to go to a polka party in high school oh, God. <laughs> and his and his friends tell him that they'll take care of sneaking him out of the house and they're like we'll just use a hay boy and he's like what's a hay boy and so they have that set up like five minutes earlier and then it cuts to him being brought home from the, this raucous polka party by the police <laughs> and his dad just comes around the corner with this like straw boy <laughs> <laughs> like a boy made of hay and he's like really son a uh, hay boy and he's just it's, it's great. great it's a wonderful line Um, so a lot of fun very silly do not go in with any expectations of getting some sort of real picture of who Weird Al is it's the opposite of that by design but a, a very funny and, and light and silly comedy so uh, I did want to call that one out because I, I did enjoy that pretty immensely uh, over the course of the year. But that's that's probably my list. There are certainly some others I enjoyed, like Spin Me Round, uh speaking of of uh Aubrey Plaza and uh and and some other folks, Allison Bree, et cetera, but uh a fun little one. Uh again, sort of a light comedy, uh in the vein of something like uh, White Lotus, you know, sort of getting that vibe. Uh, you know, all rich people suck kind of thing. And uh and uh, the last one I'll throw out is uh Puss in Boots The Last Wish. Um, man, DreamWorks is killing it. Disney's kind of falling apart on the animation side. Like all their shit's kind of boring and stupid. Um, DreamWorks put out a movie called The Bad Guys last year, which was an adaptation of a, a children's book series that my son really loves. So we watched that. And what they've done is they've developed this in-house art style where everything see, looks painted. Like the characters have like actual brush painting strokes on them. They're not, like, clean 3D models anymore, and it's beautiful. Like, it is just a cut above, because it's got style. It looks interesting. It's not just, I mean, because at this point, CG rendered stuff is just, like, you can kind of do whatever. You can make it look like human skin and all this different stuff, and everybody's kind of trying to race themselves to see who can get the most realistic human... human. Like, okay, so like Pixar is having this problem. Like they have this super realistic human skin and light diffusion and everything looks amazing, but then they put it on this super cartoony character and it just looks weird. You know, it's like they have total cartoonish like facial characteristics, but then they have like realistic looking skin on it. And it's like, a, why, why are you doing this? Like, this doesn't look good. It's fine. If you're like more fantasy, like, you know, inside out or, or even the out uh, outward or whatever movie that came out. But this art style, they've they've moved it, and apparently this is good, like going to be their in-house art style for their stuff. And in Puss in Boots, it looks incredible. Like that movie looks phenomenal. I watched
1: um, a couple of clips uh, just on social media, and yeah, I would I would really like to see that. I, other than like loving the first Shrek movie, I'm not really attached to any of those characters or the later sure. entries. Um. So, but I've been told that doesn't matter. No, you you really don't.
0: You don't need to have seen, even seen the previous Puss in Boots movie to get this. It's, it stands alone. It it tells its own story, a very cool story. Um, Antonio Banderas is killing it. Like you can tell he loves playing this character and is having a great time. Um, It's, it's very good. The action in it is great because they're doing the frame drop thing that they did in into the spider verse where like during action sequences in certain chunks, it drops to 12 frames a second on the characters. So like the world's still moving in full 24 frames, but the characters are moving slower and it gives it this very anime action sequence feel like dragon ball Z kind of shit. And Mm. it just works. There's an opening action sequence of him fighting a kind of troll monster in the first town where everything gets started and it's, great. I, it's so good. Um, Wagner Mora is in it as the big bad wolf, basically a, a little different take on it, but he's menacing and great. Um, Florence Pugh plays Goldilocks. Ray Winstone plays one of the bears. Uh I mean, Olivia uh, Coleman, I guess is one of the other bears. Like it's a killer cast. The story is fantastic. It moves like a lightning bolt. Once it gets started, it doesn't slow down. Uh, Henry Gillen from what we do in the shadows uh, is in it playing a character named Perito. Um, it's what it's probably the best animated movie I saw last year without anybody getting close. And I liked some of the animated movies last year, but Puss in Boots last wish was phenomenal. It'll, it will be a crime that that movie probably doesn't end up doing that well because um, it deserves it. It's really good. So yeah, if you haven't thought about it, I would check it out. Don't go back and watch any of the other shit. doesn't matter means nothing just watch this one because they're I I get the feeling that they are relaunching something with this and I I won't say what that is but there's some stuff that happens towards the end that sort of would lead into other Shrek universe things (gasps) maybe coming back yeah so in any case uh, that's kind of my list Um, did you have any other ones you wanted to highlight real quick
1: I don't think so not that we haven't talked about on individual episodes you know we right
0: yeah which we tried to avoid you know
1: we've covered A lot of other things like Hellraiser. and
0: Sure, some of the other kind uh, of new things that came out this year.
1: Yeah, but other than that, it it was a good year for movies.
0: It was, like I said, a lot of favorites. Um, Probably more that we could have talked about if we really dug in, but these are the ones that stood out to us. So hopefully you'll find something on this list you haven't had a chance to check out yet, and you'll give it a shot because I think you'll be happy. I think you'll be pleased. All right, so if anybody wants to find you on social media and share some of their favorite films of the year, where can they find you?
1: Oh, you can find me just waxing philosophical about Steven Spielberg movies at Baskinator on Twitter.
0: Nice. And uh, you can get me if you want to tell me about your favorites uh, at T Baskin. And of course, you can get us together at F Peace Theater on Twitter as well. Um, of course, you can email us at failurepeace at gmail.com if that is something you want to do. Uh, I do have an Instagram account. I think I'm going to set up a separate one, I like a personal and then like a public facing or something. But um, I'm getting more into Instagram here of late, trying to sort of just use it more. I've had it forever. Join me. You know, me. I know you, Join are, me. you got a big Insta head. I don't know what the parlance is for Instagram fans. Grammars. <laughs> is that it? Are we all LC all, all grammars over there on Instagram? <laughs> just phrasering just <laughs> no, it we up. we are now. <laughs> Hi, come meet me on Instagram at Kelsey Grammer. No, <laughs>
1: I'm um, Kelsey Gramming it up.
0: <laughs> but uh, so once I get something set up there, I'll probably share that here too. But anyway, nice. uh, you can always get a hold of us. Uh, thanks for hanging out and listening to us discuss some of our favorites. It's always a blast, but we will see you next time.
1: Bye-bye.